0: Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while Bo's return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and inside of me, seeing what I see, feeling what I feel, and mostly living a life of existential dread is Scott Daly. Oh, here, let me uh, let, him, let, let just go ahead and let him out.
1: This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbow's world of master strangers, potential sibling murder, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, Matt, we have an extra special, extra stuffed episode as we cover three chapters in Arc 9 gleaming. 9.7, 9.8, and sandwiched right in the middle of those two is 9.x, Byron's interlude, where we finally learn that Matt was right and Byron is an evil bastard. I'm joking, of course, sort of (laughs) Matt. We've got two chapters where Victoria's conflict with teacher with goddess. And most importantly, with Amy finally comes to blows, but perhaps more importantly, we finally learn about Byron and all the things that he suffered. What do you think about these three chapters?
0: Uh, well, it couldn't just be three chapters, Scott. It had to be three really great, extremely (laughs) dense chapters. Right. Um, these were amazing. Nine dot X in particular. I was kind of walking around stunned all day, thinking about what a great chapter it was, and like telling people about it. Uh, it's i i've been i've been excited to do this uh, podcast episode ever since nine dot seven, and just got more excited as time went on. So,
1: yeah, I I completely agree. I I mean, we're going to spend we are going to spend a lot of time naturally on the interlude. Um, Probably the the majority of our podcasting time is going to be spent talking about that chapter. It's a long chapter, so that makes sense. But we we really wanted to spend time and do it justice. And I think there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot that I think Wildbo is doing with how he is telling that story, how he's laying it out. And I know you have some very specific things to mention about the reading experience and how that changed as you went through it. Um, I. Guys, I've I've never I've it's been a while since I've been this excited about recording an episode. I mean, I, I always love doing it, but I am so pumped for this episode. I'm pumped to get into this, so let's let's just do it. Let's yeah, just do it.
0: Let's do it. Let's get through this community spotlight part yeah. first, though, because I am I always enjoy uh, reading what you guys wrote last week uh, from from last week's thread. Yeah, um, we do
1: have a quick announcement though uh, okay. before we move into that.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, there's no episode next week because. Yeah. Both Scott and I are on completely unrelated uh, travel um, and will not be able to record um, or or prepare for that matter. Yeah. So it's going to be kind of doubling up the following week.
1: Yeah. So there will be no there will be no episode next Wednesday covering nine nine and nine ten. I guess it might be in there Uh, Whatever the next two, two chapters are that are being written this week, uh, we will not have an episode. So the next episode will be coming out October 3rd, and that will cover at least four chapters. It'll cover these two weeks chapters um, and the next week's chapters, whether there are two or, or three of them. So it'll be at least four chapters. It'll be another <laughs> another extra long stuffed episode. Um, we're sorry we had to do that. Like when we were doing worm and we had time off, we could like pre- plan and prepare for that and record in advance the the way we're doing this, we can't we can't do that. Like there's yeah. just there's literally no possible way to record in advance because the chapters are coming out as we're covering them. So yeah. uh sorry we'll miss you guys next week, but we'll be back the week after with a long episode and a lot of stuff to talk about, probably.
0: Yeah, for some reason Wild Lode wouldn't write the chapters a week early and send them to just us privately. Yeah. What so a jerk. So we're stuck doing it this way. <laughs> um all right. So now community spotlight where we read what people wrote from last week's thread the discussion question from last week was pick an element from the prologue and discuss how it has either paid off in the story or hasn't yet and remains open to interpretation Uh, so first we have from sarah penguin uh they're going to be talking about when kenzie and chris uh sorry when kenzie asked chris on a date in 0.6 um, and this is important um, because, you know, we, we basically see how obsessive Kenzie is regarding gathering information about people. We also see that Chris is paranoid and values his privacy, um, which we which we, you know, which uh, those, those things all come into play later. Um, and then it pays off. So basically it, it hasn't really paid off yet. Yet there's been some hints of Kenzie's feelings in the way that she will say things to Chris um, so that Chris can make sarcastic jokes about it. Yeah. Uh, she also changed her name at the last second to a name he suggested and possibly um, the way she got angry when she touch- when uh, he touched her bag um, was related to her feelings for him in some way. Yeah. And, and they also say that they have a theory that Kinsey is, has started puberty and is keeping it a secret from the rest of the team, um, possibly even using her um, uh, projector to hide any physical changes. I think that's interesting.
1: That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I I like the general nature of this response is the fact that, you know, we've seen Kenzie's close relationship with Ashley throughout the story so far, but Kenzie's relationship in, in the prologue of the story was set up to be with Chris more than anyone. And that hasn't really been a focus of the story just kind of because of the nature of Chris. But you do see these little, little beats and bits where, um kenzie still very much likes chris and very much wants to make chris happy as i mean that's her general rule but it seems very targeted toward chris a lot so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see where that um friendship relationship what what have you goes in the future as we learn more about the mystery
0: that is chris yeah me too
1: all right next up we have arena venera who wanted to talk about Kenzie's name, heart-shaped pupil, and how that kind of set up what we learned about her later? They said there's the straightforward interpretation that she loves that she's a surveillance tinker who loves everyone she looks at and wa- watches everyone she loves, which be wonder would be a wonderful foreshadowing all on its own, but they also mentioned that heart-shaped pupils are a trope from hentai um i didn't I didn't know that. But in, there's in, a there's, <laughs> there's a very inappropriate meeting that she probably wasn't aware of when she chose the name, which is funny because uh, she tends to do that. Um, and then and then, as I say, it turns out what what you do know, Kenzie has a lot of trouble in the past with trying to show people she loves them and accidentally doing very inappropriate things she learned from the Internet. Um, there's also the fact that a pupil can mean student. And given that it's one of the major antagonists, it's called teacher. I think they arena venera thinks there might be more payoff for the name down the road. And then there was a great comment on this from uh, a user slice of pie who said that there's all, also the meaning that Kenzie literally sees relationships with people through a metaphorical heart shaped lens, i.e. feelings of longing or caring, which they think is brilliant. And I agree.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also, of course, the pupil is like the lens of well, it's not the lens, actually, but it's the aperture of the camera of the eye. Yep. Um. I'm Yeah, I'm sure this there's all kinds of meaning in, in all these names, but of course, yeah, as,
1: as wild Bo does. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think we, we didn't know enough to really talk about that name in detail back in the prologue. So it's good to bring it up again. Yeah. Uh, Shinichi 7 um, brings up, uh, that they feel like it's, uh, they feel like an element of what's really paid off in a spectacular way comes to us from zero dot 0.6 from everyone's favorite jackass, Chris, Um uh, mainly, um, in an in interaction where he says it feels like the a-listers are busy everyone else is in the shadows waiting for someone else to break the peace and take the hate when they get blamed um and then they and then Shinichi goes on to mention like look at what happened not even an arc ago um it wasn't a villain ac- attack like Victoria suggested but it was actually Victoria biting the bullet and letting her group be the one that kicked the horn's nest um and causing kind of a the escalation of of, of events and that's interesting because I don't think I quite connected the fact that they the fact that they breached the the secret to the fact that maybe that's why certain actors took the um took the initiative when they did in in these chapters
1: yeah I that is an interesting view on it I mean I think you could absolutely say that Victoria and company like stepping out onto that stage, stepping into the limelight and drawing attention to themselves did absolutely result in other actors who might've been just sitting around waiting to step up and do things that definitely happened. We kind of saw that happen with the other newscasts that followed it where other capes are stepping up and defending things that happened and clarifying gold morning and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah, cool. I think so. All right. uh, Stellhex wants to talk about the victoria madison talk at the very end of the prologue um they talk specifically about the part where point me at the sky says she was right there at the end and whatever she did nobody will speak of it at least not for now fill in the blank now she's gone and you're still here gone she retired or she's dead gone gone she is gone point me at the sky says and there, sorry, and then Stelhek says to be one hundred percent clear up front, I do not think Taylor is making a reappearance. Certainly not in any plot important capacity. But if Worm is about trauma and Ward is about recovery, wouldn't it be appropriate for the protagonist of the latter to confront the specter of the protagonist of the former? And of course, by specter they do not mean literal specter, but metaphorical specter. Uh, they say that for a while I thought that Ward was very firmly leaving Worm behind, but the talk show made it clear that this wasn't the case. And the villains of Ward have pretty much all been master, so it makes sense that while bow is building up to the ultimate master for last as a finishing touch. Maybe an honest conversation about the horrors of gold morning or a final for the book therapy session about the same or a skinny young woman with curly hair and glasses who disappears into the crowd before Victoria gets a good look at her face. That's, I mean, that's very interesting. Like we we do have to remember that I think, I think we at the time looked at this conversation with Madison as like Wild Bow sending a very clear signal that worm is done this is a different thing. This is a new thing. We're moving away from Taylor. We're moving away from um, the events of that book, but we're also not right. I mean, because the events of that book are still ruling over everything that happens in this story Um, and, and what Taylor did and what Taylor tried to build continues to, to influence how people uh, move towards that recovery. So I think they're right that I definitely agree that, Taylor is not going to make an appearance in this book, but I I think they're right that the specter, the ghost of gold morning, the ghost of Kepri is going to continue to have an influence on these characters and might play a larger role somewhere down the line um, in a very, very metaphorical sense.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I agree thematically because I see a lot of the themes of the story and a lot of the qualities of Victoria's character are either like uh, extensions of or reactions to the themes of worm and, and the qualities of Taylor's character. um, I, I don't personally expect to see a curly haired young woman disappearing into a crowd, but uh, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'd probably be a sucker for exactly that kind of fan service, but uh, yeah. I don't expect it to happen.
1: Yeah. But I think Stellhex finishes up their comment with, with a perfect point pointing out that one of the last things that Victoria says to Madison, now she's gone and you're still here. And that's, I mean, that's the crux of it all, right? Is that, this this horrible thing that happened to you this this awfulness is gone but you're still here you still have to survive you have to find a way to make it and that's that's ward that's what it is
0: yeah right that's that's the focus right. yeah. yeah that's perfect beautiful yeah David L Hunt says uh, brings up the point that Chris was doing a bunch of research on traveling to slash exploring other worlds in his glowworm chapter. And we haven't seen anything yet that explains it, really. Was it a way to bring in the horrific scion-caused contamination um, and, like, a hint that this is the source of his power um, or something else? Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating, and I had also completely forgotten about that fact. Um, Why would he be hunting in other worlds?
1: Yeah, that's very true. I mean, it's like I think a a lot of the answers we got were Chris related. And I think it's because Chris is like the juiciest mystery we have left out of these characters. We know so little about him and and so much we we don't know what's motivating him. We don't know what he wants. We don't even really under like Chris is a character whose needs and wants are just completely mysterious to us right now. So um, when we're talking about looking at stuff that was set up in the prologue and trying to figure out what what or how it's going to pay off, it doesn't surprise me that a lot of people went for him.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and yeah. and yeah, I mean, like like you just said, we we know much more about all the other uh, breakthrough characters. Yeah, uh, the the setting element of like the multiverse and the fact that there are I don't even remember how many Earths are are connected together um, is something that I always kind of forget about because we focus so much on Gimel and we have a little bit of of time in Bet and we know that there's this conflict with Earth C. Yeah, um, but like there's all these corner worlds we've been to one of them but it's a very cool setting detail I always wondered from the beginning like are we going to be are we going to be visiting a lot of these corner worlds or is this just more of a you know cool setting detail that isn't really exploited a ton and um I, I do wonder if we're not going to see more of them eventually. I think we
1: I think we will um I, I think the sh- the the book has been kind of very street level focused so far so it's not surprising to me that we've kind of stayed put because that's what our our characters are focusing on. But uh, I think the story will naturally expand as the stakes and the conflict rises. So uh, there's definitely an opportunity there for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, the final answer of the week comes from Literal Headcanon, who says, the really obvious prologue point that no one has mentioned yet is the conflict between Weld, Sveta, and the other irregulars, ex-irregulars, rather. They've been referenced a few times, but downplayed because Svetta's tendency to recede into the background when possible. I think they're going to get a lot of focus when Sveta does. I completely agree with that. And it's something, honestly, before literal headcanon's response that I had kind of forgotten about, um, that her portion of the prologue has a lot to do with how much the rest of her old team is giving her shit and how much they're riding her and, and threatening her. And that is definitely going to be part of her her arc through the story. And uh, we'll see when we get there. but.
0: Yeah, right. It was a pretty serious level of of harassment online. And yeah. uh we haven't in the story, I don't think we've really encountered any other k 3s So um
1: Not yeah, not yet. Yeah,
0: we'll have to see what happens when that comes around.
1: It's gonna be interesting. Yep. Great answers as always. Thank you guys for taking the time to answer that question. We love it. All right, Matt, let's let's do it. Are you ready? All right, Are you let's ready? Do it.
0: Go. So nine dot seven. <laughs> Go. We pick up from last time with the team planning to help goddess attack the prison and Natalie just beginning to clue into what's going on. Victoria is able to retain her imperative that she defer to Byron's lead, despite the tension that this creates with Sveta. Kinsey too is very nervous about all this treacherous behavior being exhibited by Victoria.
1: Yeah. And this entire chapter and nine dot eight after it is just one big giant ball of tension. Hell this whole arc could just be renamed this is really intense and this like i i i love how much we we're, we're kind of playing with tension tension here and and also like the one main target of it for me is the sveta and victoria conflict that seems to be continued continuing to escalate and how much how much that's hurting victoria and kind of like pushing her she like Not only are her instincts telling her to do a thing that she knows or she doesn't even know is the wrong thing, but that her master stranger training is telling her is the wrong thing. But also it's hurting her friend. And I love this quote where where it says Feta turned her expression hardening harder to see that my friend. I really love the short terse sentences there. This kind of betrays the amount of emotion behind that, that that a longer complex sentence would wouldn't really show us my my friend just saying my, like my friend like that I I it's so it's so good
0: <laughs> yeah yeah um and of course this text eventually gets around to kind of mentioning what's bothering Svetta so much but yeah uh we can infer of course that any time that there's a kind of conflict within the team about the about the primary objectives um it's going to remind her of the time that Uh, all of her friends started killing each other uh, in the cauldron base.
1: Yeah. And the thing is like from Sveta's perspective, she's untrusting because Victoria is plotting something and there's conversations going on behind her back and she's right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Victoria is like compromised from her perspective. She is plotting with Byron and trying to make moves that aren't goddess focused. Um, Everything. This all is true. It's all of it. Accurate, so like that's even part of Victoria's difficulty with this whole thing is she knows her friend is mistrusting her, she knows her friend is disappointed at her, and she knows her friend is right, but she still can't she can't go along with her yep, and that that helps push that tension that t- ball of tension and just keep it up in the air for longer and longer as we move through the chapter
0: yeah, yeah, it never it never stops. So the conversation is really fascinating because it reveals what appears to be a kind of double think in goddess's victims. They all know that they are affected, but they also insist that the effect is minor and inconsequential. Um so they're and also they're motivated to prioritize goddesses' goals, but they don't view this as a problem. So we basically basically knew all this, um, but also it's important to show the limitations of the power which is what allows Victoria to work her head around it somewhat.
1: Yeah, as much as we've called it mind control, that's not really what it is. And I think Goddess will directly point that out in a couple chapters from now. But they're sitting here arguing about whether or not they can trust Natalie. And part of the argument on whether they can trust Natalie is whether or not Goddess's power works on non-parahumans. So what that means is, just as you said, that every person in this room knows that they've been mentally fucked with a little bit the disagreement here just comes from the varying levels of actually caring about that and there are some people that care about it quite a bit and some people that don't think it's a big deal at all and that's where the level of argument at it it's it's so funny because like you're just like yeah no i'm i'm definitely compromised it's just it's not that doesn't matter it's it's kind of humorous in that
0: yeah yeah it it is it is just like irreconcilable like there's nothing there's no there's no logic there um so yeah but you know the good thing though is that at least the communication norms that the team has established allow them to negotiate rather than fighting more byron suggests um that he and sveta serve to balance the conflict by both openly communicating about their perspectives on the plan
1: yeah it's all very like uh like group therapy-esque isn't it um, this idea that, okay, we're just going to try to communicate and not, um, not attack each other, not get too, too much. I, like this thing that we've been talking about since we met this group about how, um, when they perceive conflict, they kind of circle wagons around each other and become like really tra- like charitable and understanding and communicative to each other is actually the thing that's like keeping this from escalating to like a nuclear level and, I think it's that's that's a little bit of irony, right, that this thing that actually could have caused them trouble in the past is what's keeping it, this from getting super bad in the moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's explicitly that they're able to have conflict in a uh, productive way, which which is something that they've they've they're kind of really practiced at, actually. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it, it's pretty great.
1: It it also really helps that Sveta's kind of natural reaction to perceived betrayal isn't anger just sadness and disappointment. Like there's this moment where she says, what's going on with you, Victoria, her face showing something closer to pity or disappointment. And then, um, a bit later, she's having the same conversation with Byron and Sveta's response to him is, I don't want you as an enemy either. Byron. I I feel like I haven't even gotten to know you. And she says that in a small, sad voice, it's like, she's not even mad at what's going on. She's just, she feels betrayed and she's so disappointed and sad about it.
0: Right. Yeah. it's it's fascinating because she she thinks that like she's obviously in the right and they're They're obviously like betraying her, which is kind of the opposite um, of what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. That's that's why the power is so messed up. I mean, I still feel like this is a pretty, pretty messed up power.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, I completely agree. It's it's terrible. It's and and we're kind of watching it like tear them apart and seeing seeing how upset Victoria is at, at the perceived betrayal to her friend. It's really rough to read. It really Mm -hmm. is. Yeah. We talked about that last week a little bit.
0: Yeah. So Kinsey explains a few options for interfering with teachers' portals using the stolen tech. Uh, The plan that she ends up going for involves broadcasting a signal that skews teachers' ability to place his portals, causing them to be placed underground and thus failing. And it's supposedly subtle enough uh, that, that they won't be able to figure out what's going on. Um, and of course, as she's explaining all of this, she's using an analogy to cameras and light.
1: Yeah. This is a bunch of like tech mumbo jumbo that is explained just clearly enough that both Victoria and dumb Scott get it without having to really get it. Um, so I I think, I think that's, I think it's really, it's challenging to do that, right? You want to, you want to, Build something that seems sufficiently complex that it feels real and like some some something that her power would would be able to do. But describe it to your stupid readers like me in a way that makes enough sense where you're just like where you're you're not like, wait, what? And I think that this is it's a perfect way to do it. And I think Kenzie's like the perfect character to have to have that responsibility so often because she's a little kid. So her explanations are going to be kind of naturally simplistic.
0: Yeah, well, and, and she's also, like, it's also comedic because she's right. explaining it all all in terms of cameras, even if she didn't even have to really explain it and could have just been like, yeah, I'm going to broadcast a signal which skews the location of the portals. Right. But it's Kenzie, it has to be cameras, it has, and, and also she wants to, like, she wants everyone to understand because yeah. she's, actually, she's kind of showing off, actually.
1: Right, right. And she's so delightfully excited to be getting to do this. And it, it, it's times like these where I remember that, like, the stuff that Kenzie loves to do the most and gets her the most excited is probably like some of the least healthy stuff for her ongoing mental health. But I can't help but get swept up in the excitement at times like this. Like, like look at this moment where like Victoria guesses something and gets it wrong. And, and Kenzie's like, it's good that you're thinking along those lines though. Kenzie said like an instructor applauding her student for trying. Mm -hmm. And then later on where she's, She's thinking of an idea, and she says, "Maybe we could." She made a bit of a face, scrunching everything up, and it's just so adorable, and you can't help but be just like, "Ah, Kenzie."
0: Yeah, right. But and also, it, oh no. Also, like, yeah, the undertone of horror because you're like, "Oh," right. but also the reason she's doing this is because she's been brainwashed.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's and and I think Wildbo plays with that really effectively because you're like kind of torn like this. A, a lot of these chapters are very much you being torn between your kind of natural emotional reaction to something and the, the, the truth underlying it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was this me? Yeah, this was me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so there's this one part that I, I, I wanted to really touch on here, um, where Kenzie says she's our, she's our network hub. She can lead, and the response is, "We don't have a way of getting in touch with her and And Spe's response is, "We have a way of getting in touch with Chris, and Chris is with her. I'll call him." Kenzie said, "Don't just Byron started He trailed off looking for me for help and this interaction, I think, like best represents the kind of chess they're playing with each other right now. Nobody in this room trusts each other. They all think the other person is like is like scheming against them, so they're like subtly trying to push each other in in directions." And and they push as far as they can before they have to offer an explanation for why not. That doesn't make sense. And then they have to step back. And And it happens on both sides. We're about to get to, to something else where it happens on the other side. But I love this like this kind of push and pull where we're we if we go too far over this boundary, a fight's going to happen. So we can't push that hard. So we're just kind of at a standstill. It's really great.
0: Yeah, this concept, this concept of like a deadlock of conflicting priorities, um, I think, is a concept that we're going to see more of in the next chapter. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So Byron uh, finally manages to get Natalie alone and presumably explains to her exactly what's going on. Um, it's kind of a shame that we missed this interaction, but obviously we had to.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a structural limitation, but it right, it right. makes sense. And this is what I was talking about. This is like the exact opposite of what I was just saying, where, um, the game of chess they're playing, Sveta can't come up with a good enough reason for why. Byron and Natalie stepping outside is a bad thing. So they just have to let it happen. Just like Byron can't come up with a good enough reason for why they shouldn't be calling Chris. So he just has to step back. And it's like that, that that just kind of they're like playing a game of chicken against each other almost. And they know something's going on. They know something's up. Sveta knows that they're doing something, but she can't. She doesn't have a reason enough to push against them without just fight time. So it, it's just it's like this wonderful stalemate that I love.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, with with no real like ability to resolve it, which is no, why it's yeah. it's so it's so uh, you know, dismal. Yeah, um, yeah. So they they call Chris to try to get in touch with Goddess. He is in vulture roadkill form, <laughs> uh, and covered with eyes. Also,
1: oh, the old new Chris form descriptions yeah. that always leave me like, what? <laughs> Before we go on, I just wanted to remind everyone that goddess is always kind of just an annoying little shit. (laughs) Like there's this line where she's talking about how, um, Victoria is explaining that the marksmen against her were not very coordinated and they weren't very good. And goddess is like, they weren't marksmen or coordinated strikes because his focus was and is on me. Even now those assholes move against us. I've tapped other resources and she just comes like, I love that Victoria originally described her as this kind of like spoiled prep school kid right Um, who's used to getting her way and and I think that really comes off in in this dialogue here like she she, so much so much of what she says and what she does seems to be affect like she's putting on a front but then a little bit of her like true personality kind of leaks through where she seems like she's on the verge of a temper tantrum like those assholes like she's just so annoyed and mad all the time and I just love how that kind of sneaks through this dialogue here
0: Absolutely. Like half of what she says is like either passive aggressive or like unnecessarily sarcastic. Yeah. But I think what's really interesting about all that is that Victoria never, never ever since she got mind whammied has been like, man, this, uh, she's, she's kind of, uh, she's kind of rude. Yeah. Like she, yeah. she just takes it. She yep. just is like, um, she just tries to work around it as if everything goddess is doing and saying is, eminently reasonable and and correct
1: yeah (laughs) and Um, yeah not performative bullshit yeah it's really great
0: yep so we do a we then do a relatively unusual like pov shift where we're now following the activities of some of the prison guards and of course we relatively quickly find out that we're just viewing what victoria is viewing and she's narrating it um, but it takes a, a few paragraphs for that to become crystal clear.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's not the first time wild Boat has done that in this book and it probably won't be the last either. I continue to really like it because it, it serves as like a really minor way of, of cheating our perspective lock while still existing within the bounds of it. Um, it, it doesn't break the rules. It just kind of bends them a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it it's organic and it right. doesn't feel weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, just <laughs> as we're peeking in on these, um, on these folks, we are getting a little bit of the flavor of what the prison is like. Uh Johnny in building C, room four, ate his own hands for biomaterial.
1: And then he just continues to talk as if that was not a crazy fucking thing to say. Yeah. Just another week, another scariest fuck power that's casually mentioned. Like, it's no big deal at all. And we just move on with our completely normal lives.
0: Yep. Yeah, I, I I love I mean, I just love the idea. Anytime we get to peek in on what the mundanes are doing, like yeah. I would I would just love like the, the mini series of of what know. PRT officers have to deal with.
1: How was work today, honey? Well fucking Johnny ate his hands again, so we yep. had to deal with that.
0: <laughs> yep. Um so there was an interesting reference here to Damsel Three, uh, which we may have had reason to believe that they were that they they had another damsel, but I don't know if there was an explicit confirmation yet.
1: Yeah, to me, this was just like the prison trying to rationalize the fact that they saw a damsel on TV. Because um, they know <laughs> that two damsels are in their prison, so the can't be them. So there must be a third one, because how would one of our prison damsels be on television when they're definitely still in our prison? It's this hilariously wrong assumption But like a really fair one to make, because like, what is the alternative? (laughs) The alternative is that Damsel is just able to leave the prison anytime she wants. Um, This does confirm, I think for us, we were kind of wondering, did they ask the prison for permission before they did this? And it seems like, no, (laughs) they just kind of had her show up there and let the warden probably lose his fucking mind when he turned on the TV and saw his prisoner standing up there.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have to reread that and and figure out um, what exactly is being communicated there.
1: The thing that really surprised me about this part is they say that um, the damsel three appeared on TV 24 hours earlier. And that was the moment where I was like, whoa, holy fuck the the television, the hard boiled episode was a day ago. This is this has been Victoria's day from hard boiled till now. That's a shitty day. Yeah, it's like an episode or season of 24 shitty day.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're cramming all of these um, life changing interactions in pretty quick there. Yeah, yeah. So breakthrough banks on the suggestibility of the teacher thralls and sends messages messages to a guard telling them to go radio silent and to deactivate the ankle bob bombs. The guard goes and tells the warden and the deputy warden, who were also compromised. Meanwhile, Byron communicates with Foresight, who are feeding information to Crystal Clear.
1: You just can't get good help at your superhero prisons anymore, Matt. Especially when, like, a mind-influencing supervillain is hanging around. Yeah. Maybe if they gave good enough dental, but no. (laughs) Seriously, though, I think this whole scene is kind of like very heist like in tone and rhythm. Um, Our characters are like watching this unwitting mole betray all his friends and and work for them. Uh, Things keep going wrong and they have to kind of adjust the plan on the fly to figure out how to how to serve their goals. It's this pretty good kind of tension building scene that that manages to hold that tension, even though it's really just our point of view character standing in a room looking at a television screen
0: yeah no I agree this felt very mission impossible with the uh, the you know you've got you've got your tech your tech person Kenzie sorting everything out you've got the the plan for the actual heist g- going underway and now right now we're cutting to like what the what the security guards are doing yeah. in reaction as the plan begins to to unfold and yeah it's very um it's wonderful Soderbergh, get your heart out yep um so so here we see a little bit of Victoria's thinking here, and she's she's thinking, My hope was that by having Goddess there, we could seal her in and scramble the signal. We had people on the inside we could reach out to, but my real hope was that her power would be would be of the wide-reaching sort that didn't reach through dimensions. If we could cut off the flow and close the doors, maybe this alleged influence would slip away. Breakthrough would be free. So I, I thought this was really interesting because we're actually seeing Victoria think of a plan that is actively against goddess here. Not just, I will listen to Byron, but here is my own personal plan to trap and escape from goddess. Um, so I wonder if this means that she's gradually breaking free of the control in a more general sense.
1: Yeah, this really jumped out at me too. M- my guess here would be not that she's like specifically breaking free, but when she's in like Victoria plan mode, she's more able to risk, resist the influence that at other times, like her, her, Goddess's brain aligning seems to play off your instincts, right? Like you instinctively want to do this instead mm-hmm. of what you would normally do. And Victoria's like warrior monk persona actually makes her one of the best people to resist that kind of compulsion. And I think that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing her shift into that planning, uh, organizing warrior monk type thing. And it's not surprising to me that in that mode, she's able to resist the the pull of her instinct more than in other ways.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, particularly because of the way she phrases this. It makes it seem like she's considering it as like a hypothetical problem-solving exercise. Right, right. Like particularly the word alleged, alleged influence, like she her mind won't even let her think like I'm going to sever this compulsion that's yeah. that's acting on me. She's like, "Well, Master Stranger protocols and Byron says there's a there's a compulsion, so" So assuming all of those things, this would be the plan to solve that problem. Yeah,
1: I, li- I like that framing a lot because, yeah, that that's that's kind of a way to, of cheating the the influence without actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a very she's not vic-
0: so much confronting it as it's like thinking around it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That Victoria, yeah. she's smart.
0: Yeah. So they shut down the power to the prison and they succeed in getting the guards to turn off the ankle bombs. Shortly after, Goddess arrives at Breakthrough's base with Amy. Oh, shit. There goes your cool heist plan, Victoria. <laughs> yep.
1: I, I really love this, though. I I love their entrance. Goddess was as dry as a bone as she stepped into our headquarters. Amy was a step behind her, looking less confident than I'd seen her yet, before or after everything. First of all, the detail of Goddess walking in completely dry and confident is perfect. And then we get this beat of Amy walking behind her, Amy looking terrible. Mm-hmm. I think by the time we finish with this whole goddess portion of the story, we're going to look back on these moments as kind of a very important teaching moment for Amy. Um, She's going to learn some things here about what real restitution looks like, about what forgiveness is, about um, how you go about asking for that forgiveness and having these conflicts. Um, She's going to get a pretty big lesson, and I think we're seeing her back now, and we're seeing her kind of in rough shape right now and it's about to get a whole lot worse like she's already had she's already had lesson one and now it's time to move on to lesson two and uh oh boy well we'll yeah. get there we'll get she there. hasn't
0: really been open yet but she's gonna be uh it's gonna
1: be forced open ripped open
0: yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> so um why are we going i asked i met amy's eyes she looked away because i was told most of you were here to talk, were there to talk to me and most isn't good enough you'll all stay with me until i'm sure i don't need to be concerned about any of you i don't think you need to worry anymore byron said he sighed he switched to tristan without a second thought i could see tristan's expression change as he realized he was free it started somewhere in the neighborhood of anger and it became something closer to fury
1: so this is like the best ending of a chapter uh, ever Sure. Let's yep. say ever um, the the I just love like the way this plays out, the sigh as we end that paragraph with with Byron, as he says, resigned. I don't think you'll need to worry anymore. And he sighs. And then the next line you read, he switched to Tristan and you're just like, no, no and it's just yeah. it's just like a perfect it's a perfect way of leading you into this devastating cliffhanger of an ending and then of course we we set up Tristan's anger anger which carries forward into our interlude but also right into the next chapter after we pick up after the interlude it's just it's just fantastically well done i remember like reading this and literally like audibly gasping at, yeah. at our one guy who we thought okay at least He's, he's the one guy that do, isn't isn't influenced and he's the one guy that's helping Victoria. And, and if there's a way out of this, it's going to be through this guy. And then.
0: Yeah. Nope. At least there's hope. Oh, no. Yeah. And, and so, like you said, in terms of leading into the next chapter, what we've got going on is. We've been much more predisposed toward Byron by the last several chapters than we had been at, at any point of the story, because right. he's basically our our rock. Um, predisposed against Tristan a little bit because we know he's compromised. And then the chapter wraps up with him being absolutely furious at the fact that he's been kept inside, even though we know it was for the best. Right. And now we switch right on into the next chapter where I think those, um, those emotions that we have rolling into the chapter are played upon, um, very much, very much so.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about that for a long time because I think what Wild Bo is doing with these three chapters, um, the, the lead into this one and the lead out of the next one and the conclusion of our reading this week is is manipulating the shit out of our emotions and our assumptions with these two characters and what we think is going to happen and what we think who we think Byron is and who we think Tristan is. Um, it's, it's, it's masterwork. Like this chapter is good enough on its own. This interlude is as a standstill thing. Amazing. But when put in between these two chapters, it elevates it. It makes it even better.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think we, we had a, we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about why it is where it is. Yeah, definitely. All right. Nine dot X and, uh, oh man. We are with a slightly younger Byron arguing bitterly with his brother.
1: Yeah, so let's just say up front we're going to spend most of the time here. Yeah. <laughs> we, we rushed through 9-7, and I wrote in my notes, I want you guys to know I wrote, we rushed through 9-7, and as I look at our, play t- our clock, I realize, um, no, we didn't. No. <laughs> we didn't really rush through, but we went a little faster than normal. Um, but we're going to spend a lot of time here, and I'm assuming everyone out there is cool with that. Uh, you can't respond to that so i'm going to i'm going to take your silence as an agreement that you're cool with us spending a lot of time on this chapter so okay let's do it
0: sounds good to me um so from the drop you can see the outlines of what's being set up i think byron has grievances tristan sees them as inconsequential and baffling trist uh, byron sees tristan's dismissal of his grievances as part of the problem tristan sees byron's demands as too invasive and controlling there are two perspectives here and two sets of justifications, but we only see Byron's.
1: Absolutely. That is the most important thing to remember throughout this entire chapter. Wildbo places this argument as the instigating point of the chapter. This is everything that happens in the rest of the chapter starts at this central disagreement between our two characters. So we need to get in there. We need to study it. And and as I started sitting down to study this argument, this, that what, what the central conflict, the central miscommunication between Byron and Tristan was, I thought about that name of that arc, Matt. I thought about gleaming Mm -hmm. this, this reflected light that it, it bounces off light bounces off a surface and gleams and a light that bounces off a surface is changed a little bit. It's not the same as it was, Um, from the source it's a little distorted so if we look at light as a symbol of like truth in this story then a gleaming light a reflected light is just um a certain reflection of that truth and i think that's byron and tristan's main thing here Matt. i think they look at each other and they see the reflected version of their truth um and, but they don't see the other persons.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could also have some, you know, if you go further with the reflection imagery, you can take the idea that they're twins and they're reflections of each other. Right. And they never actually see one another's issues right on. They they only see a reflection of them or or a sort of inverted or, or distorted image of that, of, of what the other person's saying. Yeah. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, So the argument between them escalates into a physical brawl as Byron brings up more and more material that has been hurtful to him only to be dismissed by Tristan. Uh, So pretty much everything in contention between these two brothers seems to have been precisely crafted to be complicated, to be not straightforward. Like Byron says, it really hurt that Tristan went out with Katie. Uh, That's bad. You shouldn't go out with a girl your brother likes. But Tristan responds basically like we we didn't really go out and also subtextually I'm gay so so I don't really know what your problem is here. So like they're both right from like their own perspective but neither of them are are at all motivated to see things from the other's perspective and that's the fundamental issue.
1: Yeah. I mean, Byron is sharing his truth as he sees it. He's like, you are taking my stuff. Everything I do, you take from me. Everything I want, you get it first. If I do something first, you steal it back from me. Um, but yeah, he's like, Tristan is not interested in Byron's perspective on this at mm-hmm. all. Like he's just, he's just not, but Byron really is also not interested in Tristan's perspective at all either. Like mm-hmm. this, this, this this one beat here that that's what it was all about. It was going together to the stupidest fucking movie. It was one thing. It didn't matter. And and Byron's response, it mattered to me. And that's the central disconnect between these two characters that. I think it doesn't matter. You think it matters. And we refuse to see why the other person would think that way. We we were not interested in doing it. And And yeah, like. Tristan comes off as kind of a dick here. He absolutely does. His level of dismissal of his brother's issues borders on gaslighting at times. He's like he's like accusing him of being insane for thinking these things. But I, I don't think like I think it's very easy to, to fall into Byron's point of view. And, and and this comes from this place of like genuine dislike or or complete disinterest. It's just that they have completely different priorities and completely different ways of looking at the world and I think a lot of what Tristan does comes down to a deep-rooted insecurity in his heart. And it is this insecurity that I don't think Byron ever sees, ever.
0: Yeah, well, Byron never asks why Tristan is behaving that way, right. w- why he is doing that. Um, and, and also, yeah, I don't think that Tristan is gaslighting. I, I think that it's very easy for Byron to dismiss it as, as such. But I think that's just how Tristan sees it. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like Tristan is gay and he treats this with his brother as if it's not a big deal. Like that's kind of how, that's kind of how Tristan rolls, but it very clearly is because when, when Byron shifts the conversation to this, when he calls Katie, the, your beard, Tristan's expression changed. His voice was as cold as Byron's was hot. This, this, Argument just escalated. It stopped being Tristan just thinking, this is stupid. This is silly. You're being ridiculous. And it suddenly becomes something else. It becomes serious now because he just took it there. And then Byron's response to this is not great, Matt. Um, he, mm-hmm. he says, they know everyone fucking knows because you're really fucking bad at hiding it. It's why they treat you with kid glove and give you the extra attention while you figure yourself out. So Tristan is not out of the closet. Like he he is not he has not said to people, I am gay, at least not officially. And, and this kind of like blatant dismissal on behalf of Byron to Tristan trying to figure himself out a thing that is, is very difficult for a young person trying to figure out their sexuality, figure out who they are, is really kind of fucked up. And it's very dismiss dismissive of Tristan's feelings, which Byron is accusing Tristan of, of doing to himself.
0: Yeah, it's it's Tristan keeps things together better right. and, and is able and is able to keep up this facade of, of what seems a lot like bravado, actually. Yeah. Um, um, but but uh, but actually it's um. Byron takes it at face value. Yeah.
1: Byron's way of handling his insecurities is to kind of collapse in on himself. Tristan's ways of handling his insecurity is to overdo it with people to be so like. Um, boisterous and happy and friendly that everyone likes him and it makes him feel it hides that insecurity that he has and it's just it's like they're just they they can't see why the other one would do it that way
0: yeah I mean I think last last week you said Tristan rushes in and it's like yeah he he has to control the situation right so that it comes out favorably um, he, which is to my mind um, can be a sign of confidence but can also be a sign of um insecurity and and need to make sure that things are going to turn out in your favor yeah um so this conversation's not still not going great <laughs> no. they, they haven't resolved their differences yet at this point um byron starts grabbing for more material that he can use to hurt tristan uh, verbal material at this point uh, reiterating the gay bashing that he previously protected tristan from but he manages to do this in a way that kind of discredits any moral high ground that he may have had in the first place.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. He wields these gay slurs as weapons. They are they are disgusting, cruel words. But he's he's he in his mind. He's not using them against him. He's just explaining this is what I've been protecting you from. But in actuality, he's just using the words. He's just calling his brother these names. And it's it's fucked up. It's really fucked up. And like, again, from his perspective, that's not what he's doing. If you ask Byron what he was doing, no, I wasn't calling you that word. I was just showing you what it feels like to be called that word in order to explain that I've been protecting you from this. So obviously I am not gay bashing you because I've been protecting you from these kind of words as I use them on you. It's, it's really gross. Like it's, it's not good. It's not, it's like, and and it is no surprise to me that from Tristan's perspective, it comes off as just him actually saying those
0: words, because that's kind of what it is. Right. Um. I almost want to I almost want to stop and acknowledge the why but be that, that we're doing here. But I think I want to wait a little bit longer before we have the meta conversation. Yeah. Does that, that sound good? Yeah.
1: Actually, I think a mid chapter that'd be good.
0: Yeah. OK. So um, Tristan responds here. Uh, It's not on purpose, you moron. It's life. You're quiet. I'm loud. You're lazy. I'm actually out there talking to people. So they listen to me more. Nature and school fucking politics and fucking logic favor those who do and say stuff. Now stop fucking hitting me or I'm going to hit you back.
1: Uh, He's he's right. Like he's being a total dick about it. But Uh squeaky wheels get the oil, Matt. Yeah. If you are loud, if you talk a lot people will pay attention to you. That's just yeah. kind of the way things work. Right. And like, I don't think he has to be this dismissive of, of what Byron's saying about Byron's feeling. I don't think like, yes, I think we are intentionally kind of phrasing this argument to be hard on Byron here, because I think that is the much more subtext part of this, this chapter, but that does not say that the Tristan is a saint that's handling all this perfectly.
0: Yeah. There's, there's a lot going on here in this thing. He's, He's he's saying because he's being that there's a defensiveness to it. Right. Like he's basically he's he's simultaneously saying, look, this is just how it is. Like, this is just who I am. But he's also saying, like, you're blaming me for how I am. Right. Um, and then the final thing that I want to draw attention to, which which was not actually like extremely evident to me the first time I read this was he says, stop fucking hitting me or I'm going to hit you back. Byron's been like punching him, like uh, scratching at him, um, punching, shoving, uh, pushing this whole conversation. Tristan has actually only been defending himself this whole conversation. (laughs) The next thing that happens is Byron knocks him down, knocks his head against the floor, and then starts strangling him. And only at this point does Tristan actually fight back. And at this point, from Tristan's perspective, it's because he's Fighting for his life, Yeah,
1: literally fighting for his life. Yeah, that's the the innocent downtrodden Byron, who um, who is, is never respected and, and never um, and is walked on is strangling his brother to death. And I think importantly, we see through Byron's perspective how he is justifying this behavior. He's he's not doing this to kill his brother. He doesn't he doesn't actually want Tristan to die. He just needs him to be quiet for a second so he can explain things. And if he can just explain his point and explain it in a way that will make his brother listen, everything will be fine. Just tap out. Just tap out, Tristan, and everything will be fine.
0: Yeah, the, the tap outline. I'm not sure it's, if it if it's a three beat, but it's it's, it's, it's I don't very think it's a three important. beat,
1: but yeah, it 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 pays off just beautifully by the end of this chapter. But yeah, yeah I mean, li- like listen to how kind of detached and terrible <laughs> Byron describing this. the strangling is. Fumbling to bake by- break Byron's grasp, Tristan was scratching now, groping for a weak point. He wasn't putting up half the fight he had been. He hadn't even been choked for that long. (laughs) It's because he's not putting up as much of a fight because he's literally dying. You're you're killing him. And he's just he's just so kind of off the deep end at this point that that he's he's doing the exact same thing to his brother. He's accusing his brother of doing, which is not Mm -hmm. listening to him, not hearing him, not understanding him.
0: Well, he accuses Tristan of getting tunnel vision. But this is like textbook tunnel vision. Yeah. Yeah. Like all all he's seeing is like, I I'm going to win this interaction if I have to kill you basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so of course, uh, the pair trigger Byron is now viewing the world from Tristan's eyes, subject to every involuntary movement. Their problem was a lack of space from each other. And now they inhabit the same space. Their problem was a lack of control at the hands of the other. And now they each control half of the other's life. Um, there's there's even more than that, actually. But yeah, yeah.
1: but it also their powers um, line up perfectly to what happened. Mm-hmm. Byron's power grants him suffocating gas and Tristan's power grants him a sharp stabbing object, which is exactly what they were doing to each other at the time yep. of their trigger. Thanks, shards. You're great. Yep, you're great. I just before we move on, I just want to stop and appreciate the writing here. The the, the horror of the slow realization that you're living in a body you can't control he opened his eyes. They widened a bit further as he saw the amount of blood soaked into the carpet. Mama and Papa were going to be pissed. He coughed. And in that small action, everything felt wrong. He coughed again. And when his hand came to his mouth, it wasn't because he wanted it to. The sheer abject horror of this moment. R- Wildbow's writing here like makes it come across so quickly. And I think importantly... We knew that this was going to happen as soon as we saw that he was triggering. We knew this was going to be what was going to happen to one of them. So the fact that this pays off in in this kind of like existential horror moment, even though we knew it was coming, I think is a testament to how well it's written and described.
0: Yeah. Um, can I also comment on the fact that like. It's almost uh, it's almost an assumption that like you you walk a mile in someone's shoes and you'll understand them. (laughs) You see you see things from someone's perspective, and that's going to help you sympathize with them. But this is, I think, a very convincing and and true um, demonstration of the fact that just because you see things from someone's literal perspective does not mean that you are understand them or that it yeah. makes you like them more or makes you closer to them. In, in fact, it can do the opposite. I think this, not only is this true in the, in the clever powers metaphor, but I think it's true in reality too.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think one of, one of Byron's biggest flaws throughout this chapter is the assumption that because he sees through Tristan's eyes and because he feels what, what Tristan feels, he knows what Tristan thinks. And that's uh. not true. It's just not true
0: yeah no yeah certainly um and vice versa I think I right mean, we, exactly got be we gotta be unfair to yeah. Tristan too we i mean we have um, to
1: every every interaction in this has a a mirror to it, right like every mm-hmm. everything that one person is struggling with with the other we even if it's not explicitly said in the text, there is a reflected version of that same conflict on the other side every single time
0: mm-hmm yep, so As Tristan stands, starts looking around the house for Byron. Byron starts to lose it inside. Um, The text says, emotions weld, but without a heartbeat, a stomach, muscles, and breathing to give substance. They were like blots of watercolor bleeding out and into one another.
1: I love, 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 love how that's described. How how do you put words to a sensation that is almost indescribable because it's one that like nobody ever has like, right. like how, how do you put words to that in a way that gets across what it must be like this, yeah. this is how right, yeah. right there, blots of watercolor bleeding out into one another emotions that have nowhere to go and just bleed into each other to nothingness. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah. I don't know if, if we ever really call out like simile as a device But I mean, that's what that's what this is. And it's a perfect use of simile because it's conveying something that like there is no analog for that that you could really relate to. So it's like, well, yeah, emotions are embodied, actually. In fact, the only way we often know we're having emotions is that we feel them in our body. So having unembodied emotions would would have to be like something that is that is hard to convey without resorting to some kind of metaphor or simile in this case.
1: And the thing that I love about this so much is we we knew what this was like, right? Like we we've known for a very long time that they inhabit the same body and that one of them is kind of in the driver's seat and one of them is in the back backseat. Um, we've known this. But until we actually see through someone's point of view and get this experience relayed to us, I don't think we ever fully understood what this means. And I think that's like that's the disconnect between Capricorn and everyone else in in the, in the group. However much they think they know about what is experience like they never really fully do right. Like they never really fully understand what it is actually physically like to be trapped in a body that is not yours, that you don't have control. Well, wait, there's there's one, there's one person that knows what that's (laughs) like.
0: Yeah, it's this one person, and, and they're actually someone who Capricorn has talked to, yeah, and and, and leaned on a bit.
1: Look at that! Look yeah. at that!
0: There's all kinds of connections. Writing happening. is fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then their parents come home, and Tristan tries to relate what happened. He's shaken, hurt, feeling guilty. And mentally pushed to the edge by the changes in his perceptions caused by his power that he hasn't quite figured out yet. And eventually, he accidentally activates his power um, and then retreats mentally, which causes him to swap with Byron for the first time. Byron gasped, much as if he'd surfaced after being held underwater for a very long time. He found his breath, and then he screamed. Neither parent could do much more than stare.
1: So much... Of how these two brothers handle their situation centers around their differing personalities, perspectives, different wants and needs. But I wonder how much of what the relationship was going to be like in the same body was uh, defined by who was the first one to be free and who was the first one to be trapped. You know, Tristan has time to kind of figure out what's going on. Byron comes out screaming Tristan was the first one in control Byron was the first one traps how much does does that initial state of their shared embodiment affect the view between the two of them and between people around them of of who they are and and what's going on here
0: yeah no I, I agree and I, I wonder what you know the first few hours of this w- were like before they established the rules you know right when when Every time one of them handed it off to the other, they 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 didn't really know when they were going to get control back because they hadn't had that conversation. Um, It must have been just an ongoing horror for for some time. And and then, you know, the kind of thing that they that it's it's not like and and we know this because because we we, we're watching this happen. It doesn't stop being a problem once they form rules. It's it's still hell. Um, And that's kind of what Byron is, is showing us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we skip ahead and we're in Tristan's meeting with reach, um, first meeting with reach again, Byron is inside deeply frustrated, feeling ignored and shoved aside all the problems that he complained about before, but now worse and constant.
1: Yeah. this the self-fulfilling prophecy of shard fuckery, Matt. Gotta love it or, or hate it. Mm hmm. Or both. Yes. The the writing does some interesting things here that I wanted to point out. Byron's internal monologue is different from his external dialogue, with the exception of the fight that we've seen Byron, where he was actually confronting his brother for what is what was presumably like the first time he had ever done that. We've always seen Byron as as a much more kind of laid-back, whatever type of dialogue. But but his internal monologue always trapped in here is sharp, it's pointed, it's direct, it's angry and it's commanding. It's everything that he doesn't usually project outward, but it's it's what we see on the inside. And I, I think that's a nice little detailed touch to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And then there's this this moment where um, he's describing um I forgot his name. Who's the guy they're talking to? Vaughn. Vaughn. There we go. He's describing what Vaughn looks like, and he says, His jacket hung on his chair, and the sleeves of his button-up silk shirt were rolled up, showing only hints of the tattoos at the upper edges of his forearms. Byron knew, because Tristan kept glancing at the guy's arms. This is a beat that we will hit again before the end of the chapter, but I wanted to point it out here, as, as this basically serves to establish the fact that one brother is forced to observe the details of that the other brother finds interesting and and the general awareness of this and and the frustration with it um and again like we said before everything is a mirror so if if byron is frustrated with with tristan's like incessant observing of things he finds interesting then you have to assume that tristan is frustrated by byron doing uh, the same thing
0: yeah which byron obviously is doing yes yeah. So Mr. Vaughn, the business guy, explains the advantages of working for a corporate team, uh, which is some really cool world building and the kind of stuff that I think we've wanted to learn a bit more about for some time.
1: Yeah. The corporate teams were never really something that we're, we're focused on too much in the world before this. So it is interesting. I, I I love this kind of corporate versus government aspects of Capedum mirror like the decision to be in. in- like private business or or work for the government in in our world uh, corporate life is higher risk or world risk reward you can get paid more but the the risks are a little bit higher and it's it's a real like kind of logical extension and feels very natural in in the world as presented i like it
0: yeah yeah me too um but so the whole time Byron consistently wants to say no he doesn't even seem to be want to, to want to be a cape he's he's just completely down on all of this
1: yeah and he starts like Developing a mantra where he just repeats the questions he wants to ask. The second he gets out, here's the list of questions I want to ask. I can't forget them. I can't forget them. I can't forget them. Yeah. Um, and I, I also really like how Wild Bill uses contrast here to sell this moment of defiance from Byron. Um, we have Tristan saying, I'm a risk taker. But Byron says, I'm not a risk taker. We have Byron saying, I don't want to do this. And then immediately following is Tristan saying, I'm excited to do this. And then Tristan saying, I think he'll be down for for it. And Byron immediately thinking, I'm still going to say no. This is a really quick three beat of contrast to make Byron's reticence to this whole thing absolutely clear and absolutely firm and established. Because we're doing that because we're going to upend that in a bit.
0: Yeah, right. Um, I I just I just like this, um, what this says metaphorically. So uh, they've been to the institution, the PRT offices, past the lobby. There hadn't been much of uh, been a lot of polish. The room where the staff worked on computers had smelled like stale coffee and printer ink. But Byron Byron was wary of things that presented a polished facade to hide their flaws. He knew well enough because he was inside a living embodiment of it right at this moment.
1: (laughs) Matt, Byron is so close to understanding Tristan. (laughs) If he just extends that a little further. He is absolutely right that this is what Tristan does. That Tristan puts forth a polished facade. But he doesn't ever stop to explore the purpose behind that facade to 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 byron this is just almost out of like a a machiavellian desire to influence and manipulate people into liking him but he doesn't see like why he would be doing that he doesn't see that insecurity that is a root of that kind of of uh affect
0: yeah yeah um it comes down to a lack of empathy on both sides and the yep. lack of empathy is unfortunately very understandable because these are, these guys were both kind of like treading water right before they triggered. And now they're to borrow some of Victoria's imagery, like being continually pushed under and having to struggle back to the surface. Like when it's, when it's their turn, they like spend their whole turn struggling back to the surface. Um, and it's really, understandably difficult to cultivate empathy for the person who you feel is doing that to you. Um, and that empathy sure. unfortunately is required to get to the point where you can be like, yeah, the reason why you keep pulling me underwater is that you're drowning.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, you're absolutely right. I, I love that. I love that.
0: So um, as they're hanging out with Vaughn, he introduces the idea of selfless shots, which are basically basically selfies uh, where the face is invisible visible. Um, and again, I just love this world building touch. This is just such a thing that would happen in this world.
1: Yeah, it's it's hilarious. And I request that all entries into our pair humans costume contest also include a selfless. <laughs> uh,
0: yes, definitely. Um, yeah. So they finally meet the young members of Reach, seemingly the like wards age kids only yeah. for now. Um, we okay. get descriptions of all of them, some of whom we recognize or have seen referenced like for Kate uh Tristan obviously checks out all the male members of the team which is basically just a comedy beat um but it's also really obvious that when byron is in control he's gonna be checking out the female members um um, but uh like it's not just his eyes but also his thoughts reveal him to be sufficiently hormone addled and that he focuses on uh coiffure and moonsong did i say that word never actually said that word
1: i don't know I don't, okay. I don't know. I was hoping you would say it and then I would be able to repeat it. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I like these. They're teenagers, right? They're they're hormone adults. Yeah. Like I think hormone adult is the perfect phrase, Matt, because that I mean, that's what they are. And and they I mean, they're checking out people they're attracted to. And that's a very normal teenager thing to do. But. Look, like there have another person inside them that doesn't have that same perspective. And I think that's actually like not only the importance of having a a gay character in your story for representation but to position tristan and byron as someone a a gay and straight combination forced to be in the same body just like serves to amplify this conflict so much and everything their sexual like everything in their lives everything in their lives is just another conflict it's another lens through which there's something difficult because they are different in Every single kind of way, and forced to live with each other in this way, and it's just, it's just nothing. There's nothing between them that's easy, nothing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's almost like the shards picked them because they were like the worst possible pair to do this to, yeah. Um, yeah, so Tristan then eats a sandwich, which is just a nice, you know, reminder that like everything is unpleasant for Byron, even the most basic things that are going to happen every day and uh, it forces us to think about all the other possible little indignities involved in being constantly aware of someone else's body
1: yeah this is um i think this is laying some important groundwork for later in the chapter we need to fully understand the extent of this life that um you're not just looking through the person's eyes you're feeling they're feeling when they touch something you're touching something when they feel an emotion you're kind of feeling it um he he Tastes the sandwich as he eats it. He feels it go down his throat into his stomach. Um, it is it is it is you with for all extent and purpose. But you're not in control. Mm-hmm. Um, Byron gets really kind of annoyed here because he finds the whole thing gross. And, and I think his annoyance is completely understandable, especially as they are two people with different tastes, because of course they have different tastes because every single thing about them is different. Um, but but also like dude's got to eat. Yeah. Like you you can't just not do it. You can't just not eat.
0: Right. Yeah. This is yet a, another thing where it's simultaneously understandable that he would be annoyed, but also like, Hey, just try not to be annoyed about this because, <laughs> yeah. cause you're doing the same thing to him on the flip side. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, uh, he's, he's breathing again, Matt.
0: Yeah. Really. Yeah. I
1: don't want to take a breath right now.
0: <laughs> right. Um, so there's, there's some layers happening here, so I'm going <laughs> to re- read this. All right. Um, his thoughts were a storm of fuckery, of vitriol and plots to get his brother back to maybe finally get through to him and score one win when Tristan realized that his selfishness in this moment had cost him a chance to sign up with his team. Meanwhile, oblivious, Tristan made another sandwich, <laughs> then put it in the press. He plated it up, grabbed some napkins, got another drink, and then sidled up to Furcate, who was grabbing what looked like lemon drop candies of the of the sort grandmothers might buy and keep in a ceramic bowl, collecting dust. Do you have a preferred pronoun, Tristan asked, voice quiet. He's not oblivious. <laughs> he was. He would notice things you didn't notice, Byron. He's just paying attention to different things. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Fa- it's- it, it, it didn't, he didn't probably didn't even want the sandwich. <laughs>
1: It's so weird how Byron says that Tristan is this oblivious, selfish guy that cares about nobody but himself, but we only ever see how that's reflected in how he treats Byron. It seems like he treats everyone else pretty good. It's Uh almost as if his view of this is colored by his frustrations with his brother and doesn't actually fully represent Tristan's actual feelings.
0: I don't know. It's kind of a stretch there.
1: But look, I mean, look, look at this. Like maybe like. I'm going to get my brother back to finally get through to him and score a win. Get him back for what? (laughs) Like, I mean, so what he's angry about is that he's not in control right now, which is understandable. Like, of course it's, it's, it's a living hell and you feel your brother should let you out, but I'm sure he feels that the entire time he's in you too. And it's like, it's like, Byron is now assuming that Tristan is going to make him do this thing. He's he's he said, like, I'm going to say no, but it's not going to matter because he's going to make me do it anyway. And that's not fair. And he's not letting me have a say in this and I'm not in control of this. Um, but like he's he's just using his time like I, I I don't know, like there there's there's a way you can read Tristan as being manipulative like Byron certainly does. Like he Th- at that moment, they're like, should we swap out for for Byron here and let him have a say? And Tristan's response is, well, he had like all day yesterday and I was in most of the car today. Um, and, and and you can read that as being kind of manipulative where he's like manipulating his father to say, no, no, um, let me let me stay. But. I, I, I Like, of course, you don't want to go back in the dark, scary hellhole. <laughs> like, right. Like, of course, you don't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's all it's all it's all so complicated. Yeah. I uh, do you think we should talk now about the first read through versus second read through phenomenon, or do we have a plan to talk about that later? I don't
1: think we have like a written plan to talk about that. I thought we were just gonna move it in where we can. Um
0: Yeah, I mean I think I think now it just feels like an organic place to to mention just because I kind of am able to step back from, from this conversation and, and, and kind of note how it sounds. And I just want to say like the first time I read this chapter, I was like, man, Tristan really comes out of this looking shitty. Yeah. Like I, I I like, I like don't like Tristan now. He he's, he's an asshole. He's, he was like so horrible to Byron. Um, Man, like this is, I don't think I like his character anymore. I'm like totally on Byron's side. That, And then, of course, I had, and that was like completely my read and, and was like in my head until I came back to read it again to write these notes. And then I just started noticing all these little things, <laughs> the things we've been talking about up to this point and are going to continue to be talking about where you're just like, well, well, hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> hold on a second there, Byron. um the the one the, the one that kind of jumps out at you the, the first time is like as he's strangling him i hadn't even been strangling him that long it's like what <laughs> You're, that's 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 um uh, that's beyond taylor levels of of uh, self self justification um yeah i don't know what what was did you have a similar experience
1: i mean i i think i was a little less sympathetic to uh byron on my first read than you were, but it's probably just because my read was live tweeting. So I was focusing a bit more than I Mm -hmm. would just, just like reading through just like, and I think honestly, I think that is what the chapter is designed to do. I think the way Byron just describes in his narration, his brother's actions turn you against him, make you see everything he does through the Byron lens of, of bad intent of selfishness, of indifference to his brother's struggle. And when you really like sit down with the words and start examining the words that goes away a little bit. And I think like, I think my first read, I was much more pro Tristan than I was on my second read. And I think by the time I got around to my third time reading it, I found myself like just in the middle, right? Where Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, one was an extreme reaction one way. The other was an extreme reaction. The other way, the truth is probably somewhere in between where Um, They're both kind of being assholes and but but we are we are experiencing this through one person's perspective and therefore we are the lens in which we view his brother is distorted by Byron's assumptions and his his hatred of what he perceives to be his brother's indifference.
0: Yes, I, I agree. I think like the final where, where I come down at this point is like this is just like a tragedy that yeah, there's, yeah. there's no I don't blame anyone. This is just a sad situation.
1: Well, and that's I mean, that's the weird thing with blame in the situation. I mean, mm-hmm. these are two human beings put in a situation that no human being was ever 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 supposed to be put into no no one on this earth is equipped to deal with the kind of things these these teenagers are having to deal with so to to blame them for having bad reactions to that seems a little bit ridiculous it's like they're just they're just trying as hard as they can and coping and doing the best they can and yeah they're fucking up but the brain is not equipped to deal with stuff like this it's just not
0: yeah right
1: all right, let's make, let's yeah, get, let's make it let's worse. Get, let's
0: do it. Let's, let's, get, let's just pile it on. Yep. So um, so as they're meeting with the team, Moonsong scores some points in Byron's book by demanding that Tristan let Byron out as soon as she becomes aware that he's in there. And after half a chapter of stewing about how, how he's going to say no just to thwart his brother, her smile changes his mind.
1: Hormones, Matt. Mm-hmm. They're a magical thing. Yep. Here's, here's the thing, though. Tristan says earlier in the chapter, Byron will probably join, and Byron's gets mad about that, and he says yeah. he's only saying that out loud because he know I can hear it, and he know he knows that'll make me harder to say no later, which is an assumption. He doesn't know that that's actually why his brother's saying it. Um, and if I say no, he'll make me do it anyway. Saying no is pointless because he'll make me do it anyway. But he doesn't. He doesn't say no. <laughs> Yeah. So when Tristan said Byron will probably end up saying yes, he was just, he was just right. <laughs> I yeah. mean, he was just right. Did, did Byron ever communicate to his brother, I don't want to do this? At yeah, least I don't a, know. At least not I mean, in, in, yeah. the, not in the scenes that we were privy to.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, good point.
1: Um, did, did like, Byron, like, here, here's a, I think Byron is a very empathic person. Um, he 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 is probably more so than his brother in tune with what people want and what, with what people think. Um, but his mistake in this is assuming that everyone else is just as perceptive to these things that than he is. And if they are if they are not picking up on the things that he is, then they don't care at all, mm-hmm. at all. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that's a pretty common failure mode in human beings to be like to be like um, sort of the little red hen mentality of of like other people aren't appreciating what's what's happening here. And it's like, well, they're not maybe they're just not noticing it. Yeah. And and it may not actually be like like a, a fault. Yeah. Anyway,
1: I also, frankly, think that part of Byron's hatred of the idea of joining reach was around the fact that his brother wanted to do it. And I think on Mm -hmm. some level, he probably did want to do it. Um, We see a little bit later that he does describe the caping as fun. He says he has a a good time, but there's so much other miserable stuff around it that he can't even enjoy that as much. So I don't don't fully buy that he was totally against doing this thing to begin with. I think he was just kind of positioning himself as my brother wants to do it, so I, I shouldn't.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that comment I made earlier along the lines of uh, Byron doesn't even seem to want to be a cape. And I was like, well, most of the time, the in the vast majority of cases, the shards pick people who are going to are going to use the powers, um, who are, who are going to want to use the powers. So, So I think it is actually more consistent to say that he probably, like in his heart of hearts, thinks that sounds awesome and wants to do it. But because Tristan also thinks it sounds awesome and wants to do it, he has to like... Be all grumpy about it, yeah, and pretend he doesn't, well, and there's I think there's this fear that like he's gonna take it,
1: and he's gonna take like there's all these people, and he's gonna take these people,
0: mhm, mhm, yeah, that's true, yeah, um, so uh we skip ahead to reach returning from a nice old fashioned cops and robbers cape fight, having caught a villain and looking good, feeling good. Uh, it's mentioned that Tristan is taking over as team leader, and that his power is shifting. From metal to metal and rock, and Byron's is now almost entirely water rather than asphyxiation gas. Um, when he sw- when Byron swaps out with Tristan, says Byron was even more ragged and battle damaged. His costume was trashed. Funny how that worked.
1: Oh, the bitterness in that last sentence. <laughs> the bitterness yeah. with that line. Funny yeah. how that worked. <laughs> even I'm still the one that gets shit on.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, So Byron tells Vaughn that things are better, uh, but they're not because he's really on the edge. Yeah, he
1: lies and he realizes he's lying as he says it and then says, did Tristan sense the lie, feeling the slight changes in body language? No. For Tristan to notice, Tristan would have to pay attention to him. Matt, how could how could he not pay attention? He's like this this assumption that. That Tristan is experiencing all the same things. He is feeling the same things he feels, um, but is not paying attention to them. Like that's just complete assumption. Like that we don't, yeah. there's nothing in the text that says that that's true. Other, well, other than the fact that Tristan has a very hard time, like voicing um, any kind of hints toward his own insecurities. Like they both kind of do that, right? Like they both have trouble like communicating how they're feeling.
0: Well, especially when it comes to exposing vulnerability. Right. Um, They they, they don't frame things in in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, And I mean, it's funny because like this whole, this literal entire interlude, it's shoved in our face that Byron can't help but be paying attention to everything Tristan's doing and can't really effectively like wrench his attention away from it. So the idea that Tristan isn't paying attention to him is like we we very shortly see that we see a situation where I bet if Tristan could not pay attention to Byron, then he would. But he doesn't have that option.
1: Oh, yeah, we're going to get there.
0: Yep. Um, So Byron goes back to his room. Try as he might, he couldn't think to put his thoughts into action. Pen tapped. Frustration welled. Pen jabbed. Stabbed his thigh. The pain was a shock like a wake-up call. There's something wrong with my brother, like the peace that can get him to compromise and understand just isn't there, and I'm stuck with him. The pen jabbed again, near the same spot. There's something wrong with me. I felt like I was going to lose my mind from all this months ago. Things haven't gotten better. In a fit like he wasn't in control of his own body, he brought the pen down ten times in half as many seconds.
1: So now we've reached the point of self-harm. He's Mm -hmm. stabbed himself 12 times with his pen. He is spiraling all while he's claiming that his brother doesn't pay attention to him, doesn't notice any of this. But if Byron can feel what Tristan feels, then the opposite is true. And there's no way in hell that Tristan did not notice just getting stabbed in the leg 10, ten times. Yeah. Like there's no way he didn't f- feel or notice that. And maybe that's what the self harm is at the end of the day. Is like a cry. He's screaming to his brother. Notice me. Cause he knows on some level as I stab myself, you're going to feel this as well. Um, he refused help when he was asked by Vaughn. And now he's kind of doing it in a very Byron way of just stabbing himself. Mm-hmm. And it's terrible. It's awful. I, I can't I can't imagine.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really, really dark part of the story. Um, yeah. Then Kay for Kate comes by and just gives him a hug. Um, but Byron says he's not up for company. And then uh, Brianna Moonsong asks if he wants to get some fresh air. And he says, uh, I'll get dressed to be there in five minutes. Yeah,
1: it's so much for not really wanting company. It's just not your what? company. Yeah, I Sorry. mean I
0: I get that. I'm, right. I'm poking I'm poking gentle fun here. I, I get it.
1: Yeah, it's the girl
0: he likes. You yeah. you get over
1: your tiredness if the girl you like wants to hang out.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. And and I mean he kind of needs this type of like human connection and support, uh, more more than just a hug. Like he needs some kind of deep bond and sharing, which is what he's, you know, getting because he because basically, yeah, they sit down in the night, and there's this like earnest young person commiseration and yeah. puppy love, which we begins, but then almost immediately is marred by Brianna taking homophobic pot shots at Tristan, who she is aware can hear her.
1: Yeah, and then there it is. Everyone who speculated that Moonsong was a terrible asshole bigot uh, is apparently correct. She sucks. Fuck, yeah. fuck you, Moonsong. Yeah. But like any character in the story, Matt, she's not just a bigot. Like she's also a complicated human being because she seems to genuinely like Byron and our dude in the middle of stabbing himself in the thigh 12 times is comforted. He finds comfort in this and he finds some level of balance in his relationship with Moonsong. Um, And yeah, you bet your ass that Tristan is seeing all this.
0: Yeah. So Byron almost leaves after this little round of of uh, homophobia. Uh, and he really wants to on, on a level. He's, he's offended and disappointed. But also on another level, he really doesn't because he's desperate for this human connection. Yeah. Um, it's honestly debatable whether he would like survive walking away from this. Right. So he stays with her. He, quote, allows himself to be coaxed into a sitting position. And then he stays there and they sit and they talk for hours. Um, And this is one of those moments where during the first read through, you are just like, that's great. And then during the second read through, you're just like, oh, God, I can so easily imagine this from Tristan's point of view. Absolutely.
1: The the rage that he must be feeling, the frustration. Someone just said something horrible about you in front of you. And you can't defend yourself. You can't say anything back. You can't leave. You can't walk away. You're stuck doing whatever your brother does. And there's this moment where he says, where Byron says, no, you're wrong. He defends you. And you feel probably this sense of warmth. Like, yes, thank you, Byron. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for for sticking up for me. Thank you. And then suddenly he's not leaving. Matt, suddenly he's sitting down. Suddenly he's talking And then he proceeds to talk for six hours (laughs) with the person that hates you just because of who you are, hates you because you're gay. And so. This is more like when you first read it, you're just kind of like, that's fucked up because like he's your brother and he's betraying you. But this is more than just your brother's hanging out with a person that doesn't that doesn't like you for who you are. he he is experiencing everything his brother is experiencing him the effects of the emotions Byron is having in this moment he feels when she holds his hand she's holding tristan's hand when she puts her head on his shoulder she's putting her head on tristan's shoulder and there's nothing he can do about it he can't stop it he can't tell her to get off he can't tell her to go away he can't close his eyes he's stuck in the situation with a person who just said you're creepy and weird for just being the person you are. And that is horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. The, 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 the idea of having to sit through that is terrible. And again, from Byron's perspective, what he's doing here is trying to stick up for his brother. He, he, he kind of internally justifies this as, this is a chance if I tell Moonsong about Tristan, if I talk to her about my brother and show her the person he is, show her th- that that he's just a normal person who te- who just has a different sexual orientation, maybe I could change her mind. Maybe I could help her see him not as this creepy thing that her homophobia paints him as. Maybe I could see him as something else. But Tristan doesn't know that. Like That's not something he's communicating to his brother. That's something he's thinking internally. And... How, how could tristan know that all tristan knows is he's had to experience an evening date with a woman that hates him
0: yeah i mean yeah I mean but and yet like i'm i'm still i'm still very capable of being compassionate for byron and, and like the fact that he 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 needs this yeah and it's it's like really cruel to imagine like denying him this connection sure. and I mean, Uh, it it just sucks all around. I mean,
1: like, that's the thing is none of this is fair. None of this is fair. And, and, and saying that Byron, like, I would never say that Byron, you did this wrong. You shouldn't have Mm -hmm. done this. Um, Yeah. But, but, but at the same time, you have to understand, like, even, even if this is what you need, you have to understand what it's doing to the other person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope people aren't hearing us as. Like fuck Byron, because like it's actually just like oh this is it's fuck this situation. <laughs> fuck it, and, and like Byron is is kind of frequently full of shit in, in his internal justifications for things, but that doesn't mean he's like evil. It's just that's what's happening. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. And it's understandable. Yeah. And yeah. And they're both. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, we do then later when they switch back, see that, yeah, that experience was pretty rough for Tristan says he was going to legit lose his mind. (laughs) Um, and Byron is kind of reacting to the way Tristan is behaving and, and is thinking for his brother, listening to him was so impossible that it was literally harder than doing nothing at all. And with that, a realization of just how insurmountable the obstacle was. The fact that Tristan might never understand because he wasn't even willing to begin trying. Um, So do you think that what Byron is saying here is true? Um, If not true, do you think it's 80% true, 20% true? Because I think a lot of this comes down to Byron being partially right most of the time. He's like directionally correct, but he always overdoes it doesn't posit any possible good motives. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's maybe like 20% true. I, I have no doubt in my mind that Tristan was absolutely furious with about what Moonsong said about him, but Tristan doesn't deal with the stuff the way Byron does. He gets angry. Yes, but he doesn't like admitting insecurity. So he directs his anger somewhere else. So yeah, at, at some point Byron or er, Tristan probably felt a little bored during that whole night. So he latched onto that feeling above all else and directed his rage and anger towards that feeling because that is at least I'm, I'm not insecure about this. I'm fine with this. This didn't affect me. It's, it's channeling that anger into something else. And, but we see like, I I can't help like to, to, to Byron him saying that is proof that he'll never understand me. He'll never try, but I, this this there's this part here where he says in the wake of last night spent with Brianna, the issue wasn't that Brianna had been homophobic. Conversely, the fact that Byron had stood up for Tristan wasn't even a point of data in this moment. And it's like, what? Like. Because he didn't mention, hey, you stuck up for me like that's not an, going through his head at all, like because he he didn't specifically say that, hey, what she said about me hurt my feelings That's that's not a factor for him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tristan says almost nothing concrete. Right. He's he's just like, holy shit. He's just
1: losing his mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So and and so every so virtually everything Byron says, Byron thinks about what is going on in Tristan's mind is is a pure assumption. Right.
1: Right. But Um, but he I mean, he he says he comes to a realization and has realized this. And, and and he's decided 100 percent this 100 percent has to be true. And yeah, I mean, they do a shitty job of communicating with each other. They do. Tristan never tells Byron the way he's feeling. But to assume then that he's feeling nothing towards you, I think, is, is dangerous.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to see that that's probably not accurate. Yeah. In a, in a little bit. Right. Um. So, yeah. So Tristan... Um, in reaction goes to a party seemingly populated by young capes almost entirely or perhaps entirely.
1: Yeah, and I think it's very instructive how to see how these two deal with their bad situations. Byron kind of shuts himself off and uh, stabs himself. Mm -hmm. Tristan uh, flees to where people are. He surrounds himself with people. He gets wasted. He tries to hook up with the first person he sees. Tristan is still doing a form of self-harm here. It's, he's still setting out to hurt himself, but it's just a, a different kind of harm. It's a much more external type.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a trying to lose himself. Yeah, they're both doing a similar thing. I, I agree. Um, so I'm going to pull out uh, people cheered. They jostled him and his face, stretched in a smile. So whatever Tristan smiles from Byron's point of view, his face stretches into a smile and it's an unusual word because it's the same face Byron has, basically. But Tristan's smiles feel like a stretch for Byron. Tristan's natural smile is uncomfortable for Byron. That's,
1: God, that's such a wonderful beat. I'm so glad you pulled that out. The the detail in that word is so wonderful, stretched. It's such a, a gross, negative connotation word. It's so unnatural. It's, oh, I love it. I love it so yeah, much. Right. And A uh,
0: smile feels good. Yeah. But not the stretched does not, and
1: it, it makes me think back to last week's discussion about when Byron said to to me a smile is just a smile to Tristan it is something else entirely, and it mm-hmm. opens doors for him. And yeah, uh,
0: I love that connection. Yeah, you know. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so Tristan meets up with and flirts with a guy, uh, Nate, reconciliation um, from an apparently I guess conservative team, and we get a mention. Of a villain called Paris who aggressively goes after people and previously injured Nate.
1: Yeah. And the implication here is that he targets a very specific type of person because we have Nate. Mm-hmm. We have mentioned he mentions Fur Kate, some guy named Long Jong, John John. Uh, the, the assumption here is that he's targeting either gay or, or transgender people to go after. And he's probably like best friends with Moonsong or something because sucks.
0: Probably. Yeah. Um, so Nate stops the makeout session uh, from becoming more due to his more conservative leanings. Byron is furious to realize that Tristan hadn't really considered his presence there at all, um, or Byron assumes that yeah. that's the case. Yeah. Um, and then he takes the issue to Vaughn, and he basically tells them that they, uh, Vaughn tells them that they, they need to come up with a compromise and he'll sign off on it, uh, but he doesn't really want to come down on Uh, either side because it's a really touchy issue. So he gives them some space and time to discuss it.
1: Yeah. So I I mentioned this on Twitter, but I'm basically going to just repeat myself here because I think this is really important. We always knew sex was going to be an issue for these two brothers, but based on what we've learned now in, in what their reality is when you're sitting in the backseat, you still feel everything the other person feels, which means that when Tristan is having sex, Byron is also, basically having sex. And that means without explicitly getting Byron's consent, it's rape. And actually, if Tristan went through with it and didn't tell Nate about the whole Byron situation, even if Byron, Byron consented, it would still be rape because Nate was never given the option to consent to sex with Byron because he's in there somewhere and he's still feeling it and still having sex. So All that to be said, at the end of the day, I think Byron is like well within his rights to be extremely, extremely upset about what he he thought Tristan was actually going to go through with and actually going to do. I think I am completely on his side here that going that far is fucked up beyond all belief. And um, I'm on his side for like saying, okay, we got to go talk to someone about this. We have to set up some rules. Um, And I think I think it's important that. Byron is kind of right here,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean he he, he is right <laughs> if if Tristan has a point, it's like this is just like a crushingly devastatingly awful thing that to to say that I right. can't right, I can't do anything like this ever,
1: yeah, and I think I think to to Tristan. I think in Tristan's mind, he probably legitimately thought that he wasn't going to go through with it. Like, I think he he legitimately said, I'm going to stop this before it goes too far. I'm not going to do anything like that. Um, and, and also I think there's, there's a difference between like passively knowing that you could never do this and having a specific rule out there that says, no, you will never be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's just like it, it's, it's been stated and it's real and you know it and, and it sucks. <laughs> It really sucks, yeah,
0: yeah, I mean it kind of sucks to have rules between people. It's always better to have trust right. and, and and a feeling like the other person is thinking about your needs, and they've both like pushed each other so far that um, they're both kind of not feeling that kind of generosity at all, so yeah um.
1: And I think I actually really like Vaughn as kind of the mediator here because I think he captures my feelings on these two characters pretty well. So to Tristan, he says – Tristan says he's making a big deal out of nothing. He does this, gets unreasonable. And his response is it doesn't sound like it's nothing to him saying you're not really paying attention to what your brother's saying. But then he does the same thing on the other side to Byron. Um, He says you can't know what Tristan thinks or plans, Byron. I think you're being a little bit unreasonable. And again, Byron comes back with no, I'm in his body he doesn't pay much attention to him. He doesn't pay much attention to me, but I pay a ton of attention to him because I have to. So I, I love that. He's kind of calling them both out. He's like, look guys, you're both being a little, a little unfair here. Yeah. <laughs> he he uses the word un, un like, I love that. I actually do love that. Tristan says that Byron is being unreasonable. And then Vaughn uses that same word. Like he, he, it's almost like a, an, an admission that, Hey, Byron, you're you are being a a little bit unreasonable (laughs) like he's 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 just being dismissive of your feelings and that's not right but a little little bit a little bit
0: yeah yeah no I I agree I didn't didn't really thought too much about that but yeah he does make a good he he makes a good mediator with the exception that he refuses to really to conclude like he, yeah yeah like, he, he's like, you guys are going to have to figure this out. And, and of course, it it resolves kind of the only way it can resolve. Um, yeah. Which is which which is not really a compromise in in the sense of both parties coming to an agreement that they're both sort of happy with and sort of unhappy with. It's sort of just Byron cr- crushing Tristan's hopes and dreams. Yeah. 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 Um, and and we have this moment, um, Tristan is, is, is the one who's uh, in control and it says, his finger traced his leg at the thigh. If she makes you happier than whatever, she can say whatever she wants about me if she keeps you in one piece. I just, I really despise the fact that you're not understanding that this is what I need to keep myself in one piece.
1: I think this might be the most important quote of the entire chapter. And I think the subtlety with which Wildbo has kind of played his hand throughout this entire chapter is demonstrated here. Byron thinks that Tristan doesn't ever pay attention to him. He thinks he doesn't care about Byron, about what Byron wants, about what he needs, that he's so indifferent to his brother and that every action he, meaning Tristan, takes is a selfish one. But here, here is him saying a selfless thing. Here is him saying, if she makes you happier, then Whatever. She can say whatever she wants about me and she if she keeps you in one piece and you could argue you could argue that he's saying this just to in a, in a Tristan kind of way just to do what he does to manipulate people to get people on his side um, to, to make to win people over. But then that that beat at the very beginning of the chapter, uh, the paragraph, Matt, he, his finger traced his leg at the thigh at the spot where Byron stabbed himself the night before. And, and to me, that says everything you need to know that says that Tristan in this moment is kind of between a, a rock and a hard place. He knows his brother is in bad shape. His brother is stabbing himself in the leg. He knows that he's on the edge and taking away Moonsong from him would probably be enough to push him off. And he's thinking about that. He's thinking about that wound, that pain in his his thigh as he was stabbed, as he is making this decision. So if you say to me that Tristan is is truly not aware and not concerned with his brother's feelings, I look at this and I say, bullshit. I, I don't buy it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's Byron almost doesn't process it as as meaning that. Right. Like he he's just like, you're just, you're, you're just saying that Tristan, yeah. you know, basically it's, uh I mean, what what he, what he says next, right, it's not, it's not the thing that immediately follows, but it follows close enough that it, it shows kind of that Byron is not actually listening. He's not actually there to compromise because he says, Tristan, he hesitated, Tristan, I have to draw the line here, tap out, give, accept my terms. Or I'm going to reach out to Nate and I'm going to tell him everything, that I was there, that I could see him. I'm pretty sure he didn't even think that was possible because he's an actually decent human being and he would have stopped you well before if he thought of it. I will tell him and he will think you were completely and utterly fucked up, which I'm pretty sure you are. And shortly after this, in a sea of doubt, like watercolor bleeding out into endless darkness, Byron countered his first real victory against his brother.
1: Oh, man, Matt, tap out, tap out. Here we are yeah. at the end of the chapter and Byron is still choking his brother to death. <laughs> yeah. He's still right. on top of him, choking him to death, begging him to tap out, to see yeah. his way of thinking, to just see that his way is the reasonable way. And all you have to do is relent and everything will be fine.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's the perfect phrasing because right. it literally means like comply or I will hurt you badly. Yeah. but
1: this time Tristan can't stab him to make him stop. Byron's already done that to himself. And so Tristan's only option here is to relent, is to say, yes, you're right. Yes, you win. Um, And this idea of counting victories um, is so inherently destructive. And I'm wondering if and when we get Tristan's point of view, if we're if we're going to see him count victories this way, I kind of doubt it. I, I, I don't I don't think tristan would would do that kind of thing and not saying he's better for it but i just don't think it would occur to him to count victories like that and and i just that sentence that in a sea of doubt like watercolor bleeding out into endless darkness byron byron counted his first real victory against his brother that sentence is so scary to me
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no i I agree with you i don't think tristan sees things this way i mean that's that's kind of the problem is it's a very like completely incompatible worldview actually yeah so yeah we cut to a bit later um byron appears to be doing better he's continuing something like a relationship with moonsong the rules are set reaffirmed Uh, he's more comfortable with things but you know we know how things work with capricorn every win seemingly has to be at the expense of the other brother.
1: Yeah. I I can't help but wonder, right? Like, it's like this, everything's going great. Like, yeah, I'm in like hell for half my time, but when I'm out, everything's going good. And I wonder if, if you asked Tristan, if everything was going great, it seems to me that all they've done is, is temporarily traded. Who's suffering more.
0: Yeah. I mean, and and we set up this, it's funny. This didn't even occur to me until right now, but like, the next like exactly next thing that happens is we learn that Paris, the villain, has gone after Nate um, again. And we can only assume that Nate is injured or, or worse. Right. And then when Byron hands over control to Tristan, not only is he handing control over to a Tristan who's understandably pissed off that a guy that he liked has been injured. He's handing control over to a Tristan who has had who who is just like lost and lost and lost and tried to compromise and still lost um and he's just he's not just angry he's like desperate angry yeah
1: yeah and and it, it it nicely brings us back to where we left off with Tristan at the end of the last chapter but but yeah i mean it shows he's he's like tristan gets angry And he turns the focus of his anger onto something else like that was kind of implied by the end of the last chapter. Right. We switch to Tristan and he's furious and goddess says, take that anger and channel it towards something that's useful for me. At the end of this chapter, the implication is he's going to take everything he's been feeling in this moment and channel it. Not just his anger at what Paris has done to Nate. Obviously, that will be part of it. But his anger at everything, his anger at his life and channel it into this guy and look, we know that he murders someone like like we know yeah. that Capricorn is responsible for the death of someone. So this is pretty clearly setting up the the, the situation that's going to end interest in Tristan going too far. And so it's like, yeah, like nobody wins ever, ever. Yeah. So, Byron, you count this as a victory, but it's not. It's there's everybody loses. It's a yeah, lose lose right. situation. Yeah.
0: The cost of your victory was really, really bad. Yeah. So maybe you should have given your brothers and yeah, I mean, again, I I sound like I'm like blaming him, but it's like, yeah, they're they're both scrabbling for something. Yeah. And it, it seems like it's always at the expense of the other.
1: Yeah. And I don't know what a compromise between. I don't want you to have sex and I want to have sex looks like.
0: Yeah. I mean, like my thought there is like, I don't either, but that means that they need to talk it out for like many hours over the course of several days right. and come out and like brainstorm some ideas of what they would each be willing to accept the other doing. Um, But they, they don't seem to have that kind of relationship at all. Yeah. And they don't seem to have anyone who's coaxing them to do that.
1: Yeah. So. And, and I mean, Tristan like totally shuts down in the middle of this conversation. Like, Byron said so I forget what it exactly it is that sets Tristan off but at one at one point he just stops talking and just every yeah. time he switches he just immediately switches back so yeah I mean they're not even at a place where they're able to communicate in their rare moments where they do communicate yeah right right Whew! that yeah. was that was a long chapter Matt
0: <laughs> it's intense I've, I've, I'm happy I'm happy with that I am too I, I feel uh, so
1: bad for both of these kids like it's so awful
0: yeah yeah it's Worse than I even thought it would be. Yeah,
1: a hundred times worse. I, yeah. Like I, we had no idea. I had no idea. Like you could, yeah. like, you imagine how terrible that would be, and then the reality of it is just so much worse.
0: Yeah, P- partially because they're both kind of like putting on a brave face. Yeah. Um, and most, mostly Tristan, um, and that bravado we talked about. Yeah. All right, let's pick it, pick it back up. All 9. right. Eight. So we're back with the team. Um, Tristan has just come out to join them. Sveta and Kinsey are much more at ease now, now that everyone is on the same page as it were. Uh, but Victoria is much less at ease, uh, with Amy there and with Tristan back, having been privy to all the not listening to goddess that Victoria was doing. Um, and he also seems very, very pissed off. Yeah. And I want to talk about that
1: for a little bit. Most of that talk I think is going to have to wait till we get to the amazing reveal at the end of this chapter. But, I think this is really good setup writing. We, we've been primed to think that when Tristan gets like this, he's going to go crazy, right? Like the, the the last chapter leaves off with Byron kind of realizing that, oh my God, he's like, when I get mad, I, I store everything in until I blow. When he gets mad, he gets over mad and goes nuts. And so we're in the situation where the one guy Victoria could count on is gone now. And in his Place is this person we framed as this pissed off, selfish, crazy asshole. That's what the past few chapters have have primed us for with Tristan. Tristan. But, but, but let's see. Let's let's see how it ends. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see how, where that goes. See if,
0: see if our expectations are borne out. Yeah. So uh, Sveta kind of steps in and tries to tell Amy to get lost, um, but goddess basically shuts everyone up and gets them on task.
1: Uh, I love Svetta for looking out for Victoria here, even in these moments where she's. Not sure if she can trust her. She's still yeah. looking out for her girl. <laughs> I love yeah. why. What I was asking is why are you here in this headquarters? Because I wanted to make sure that everyone is okay. Your being here makes things less okay. I'm speaking for your sister here because I'm sure she's trying to avoid causing issues. And it's just like Amy. It's just not getting it.
0: Yeah. Read the room. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah so victoria reports that breakthrough uh, what breakthrough has been up to and goddess fills them in on uh, what she's been doing apparently chris is off with another team hunting down one of goddess's cluster mates the one with the uh power battery which apparently goddess does not currently have access to yes
1: interesting enough we learned that the in the post gold morning hubbub the one uh, this one of her Clustermate mate like escaped and took back her power somehow which is an interesting wrinkle in this whole thing that we weren't aware of until now
0: yeah um uh I just like this note of uh that they're mentioning tattletale and um uh, uh they say right now she's busy keeping her area of this mega city from collapsing a cursed place amy says So, like, I don't think I got this on the first read, but the second time I was like, oh, the cursed place has got to be like Brockton Bay or or New Brockton. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it it really is. It really
1: is. And part of me can't help but love Lisa for, like, refusing to give up on it, though. Mm -hmm. In my head, Canada, I'm saying this is like her obsession with honoring Taylor's legacy, that she just has to she has to keep this place going and 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 try to make it as best as it can be. And Mm -hmm. I kind of love that.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, yeah, but anyway, anyway uh, goddess wants her power battery back, so that's what's happening. Um, there's an interaction that I think is, is now achieved meme status where <laughs> uh, uh, they're talking about the power amplification, Natalie asks, including the brainwashing. Nothing is washed, goddess said, her voice hard. It is aligned. Oh,
1: fuck her so much. Yeah. After we finish um this podcast, I have to go align my clothes.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh so Kinzie now reports that her trick uh to keep teacher out has worked. Good, Goddess said. She smiled. Good work. <laughs> Kinzie's legs kicked in as she wiggled. Uh a- <laughs> Love Kinsey.
1: I know. I love her so much. There's like a good chance that she's not even brain aligned anymore, Matt. This is just her doing stuff because she loves the attention and reward she's getting from yeah.
0: guys. right. Someone appreciates me. Yeah, I'm joking, of course.
1: Yeah.
0: But am I? Of course. Am I? Of course. Yeah, right. Um, so Amy saunters over to Sveta and introduces Dot. Dot is just delightful. Um And has attached herself to Amy, her red queen, as a surrogate for her lost king. And Dot says some, you know, wonderful things. She's like, uh, uh, but you can. You can make her any shape at all. And then she won't need that machine anymore. Then I can take a hand or take an arm. It's also colorful.
1: (laughs) Oh, Dot, you beautiful, ignorant child monster thing, you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love that it's like inappropriate in like three different ways.
1: Yeah, Oh, yeah, it's so great. Yeah. So I, I want to talk about this for a bit, though, because I think a lot of what this chapter is trying to do is is reinforce this idea of uh, assumptions and lack of communications between people in this case, between Amy and Victoria. I do I do think there's a reason why the the Byron Tristan conflict and Byron's interlude is happening here at this moment, because the root of Amy and Victoria's uh current conflict is similar to the two brothers. They're, they are making assumptions about each other. They are not communicating with each other. They're not, they're not sharing the way they feel and they're not understanding the way the other person feels. With that said, I have to wonder here in this moment when Victoria hears Dot call, call Amy the red queen, if there's an interpretation in the back of Victoria's head that says, yep. I fucking knew it. I knew this person was going to try to seize power and use her powers and take over the world. And it's happening now. And look, she's called herself a queen. And we don't actually see that reaction with Victoria because she's like barely like cognizant at this point. She's in such bad shape. But you got to wonder in the back of her head that that's there somewhere.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, clearly, clearly no one knows the subtext of like it's a Nilbog creature who heard an interaction where Bonesaw and Nilbaugh gave her this nickname, which she doesn't like at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But
1: then I think, I think to reinforce this, this whole like miscommunication thing, I think there's this moment where like, where Dot is refusing to shut up. Like she's telling her to shut up and she's refusing to her. And Amy starts petting her. And we have this moment where, but I want Dot started. Amy brought up a hand and stroked Dot like Dot was a cat. I saw the contact and revulsion gripped my entire body. So I think revert, Victoria's revulsion here tells us that she's assuming that the contact means that Amy's using her power on Dot, right? Like she's maybe like sedating her to get her to stop talking or something.
0: Yeah, maybe that, that's I'm like 50 50 on that. Or maybe it's just the idea of, of skin contact with Amy in the abstract is revolting.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it, why not both? Um, yeah, right. Yeah. right. But I I just love that like. If if she thinks she's using her power on this moment, there's no room for interpretation there. We don't actually know she could be using her power. She could, but we don't actually know. But just 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 the touch is enough to disgust her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so Natalie, our hero, <laughs> the, the hero, uh, sees what's going on, physically places herself between Victoria and Amy, which is just a huge relief. For Vicky,
1: yeah, and it's such a huge moment for Natalie, right? Byron's fall to the mind whammy at the end of the last chapter has basically thrust Natalie into the most important member of the team role, um, and, and and we see like immediately that she's taking that responsibility seriously. And I love this moment where Victoria describes the gratitude as it, it rolled through me like. Like it ro- rolled through me so much that it could have stopped a moving vehicle. They're, they're definitely best friends now. I mean, Natalie's ability to see what's happening in this moment and see how it's playing out and to understand what's happening to Victoria and, and to literally put herself between it and and be there for her friend and her teammate is huge. I love Natalie. I think she's phenomenal.
0: Yeah, this this little tiny gesture I think. I mean, I already love Natalie from from what she did in her interlude, but this was just like you wanted to hug her, yeah. Yeah,
1: and I think it's a shift in her like she was this mo- this person that always followed the rules, waiting for her moment. And then her moment came and she didn't bow down from it. And now she's like seizing her moments wherever she can find them. She she's seeing something that needs doing and she just does it and and she does it with understanding and kindness and it's fucking great
0: yeah yeah so um she gets a moment unmonitored with natalie and she tells her as much as she can she tells her that byron and herself will listen to natalie yeah
1: and we also see that as much as we talked about in the in chapter seven about how victoria seemed to be able to actively plan against goddess she still is fully in the blue lady's grasp um because she casually says what if what if she ordered you to destroy the planet it's like well then i'd evacuate everyone And then I destroy the planet. (laughs) Right. But we also get confirmation about what the, like, I think this is wild, but kind of sending the message about what um, isn't capable of doing means because she also says, what if she told you to destroy the planet with the people on it? And she's like, no, I I couldn't do that. She's not capable Mm. of killing millions of people. She won't do it. it. Whether goddess commands her to or not. So I think that that fully kind of gets across how the compulsion works and how the, I can't make you do what you're not capable of statement, what that fully meant.
0: Yeah. I think it kind of confirms what we, what we had concluded from the previous clues. Yeah. Um, So now they're interrupted by a video feed of rain and crystal clear, stopping the prisoners from entering the mess hall. Crystal clear uses his ability to launch explosive crystals through surfaces to create a distraction and to take a second shot at the pharmacist.
1: He's the best crystal boy, Matt. I love that this explosion almost serves to like literally blow us into the final act of the arc. Um, The time for talk is over now and the actual like battle for the prison at this point has, has like begun in earnest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool to see crystal clear come back in this way and and be kind of heroic too. Yeah. So as they prepare to leave the room, somebody reaches out a hand to Victoria's shoulder, Uh, her brain, doesn't register whose hand it is till it almost touches her. And then when she realizes it, she reacts with animal fight or flight, thoughtless panic, striking out with the wretch, a killing attack that only misses splattering Amy by pure chance. And then like seconds later, Amy opens her mouth to say something and then she goes after Amy a second time, um, only held up by Sveta's intervention. She then goes outside and lets the rain outline the wretch, which probably serves to answer Amy's confusion, since we have no real reason to think that Amy would know about the nature of her force field um, or why everything just got exploded when Victoria attacked her.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, boy. This is a lot, Matt. Let's yep. let's break this down a little bit. So, OK, from Amy's perspective, she's probably just still trying to help. Right. Like you yep. can see. In some corner of her mind, she's like, if I just touch her, then I'll be able to get rid of the mind whammy and the problems will be solved. But she still still does not understand why this would be such a big deal, why this would upset Victoria so much. She still doesn't get it. I mean, that's that's the clear thing is here. And she continues to not get it like there's a moment after she leaves where Sveta says give her time to leave before you go outside and Victoria is like it's almost like uh, um, what about Bob where she's like she won't leave she'll never leave because leaving would be the right thing to do she, I'm going to open the door and she's still going to be there and they go mm-hmm. out down the fire escape and there she fucking is still she's still she just almost got murdered twice and she's still there she's, it still has not gotten through her head and it's yeah. just like Amy come on <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, but, but she's so desperate for this, right. this, this connection know, and yeah. and in denial about, well, yeah, in denial slash doesn't just hasn't really been explained right. what exactly is going on. Yeah. But I also wanted to talk about how like Sveta just
1: like saved her friend's life because she prevented Victoria from becoming a murderer because I mean, there's no way Victoria does not regret this after like, right? Like she kills Amy here. It's probably going to feel good in the moment. No way it doesn't lead her down a terrible spiraling path like in the future. Like, yeah, yeah. But I, I love when Sveta calls her back by by focusing on the mission. I mean, look at how this look at this. You'll be happier if you stop here. Sveta said we have a mission. The mission. Do what's lawful. Do what's right. When neither are clear, reach out for help. The law and right aren't in the prison right now. They needed help. Okay, I said, absolutely. This is almost inhuman it's almost robotic it's like she's so flushed out of emotions like like she, she's like so much has happened and her brain is so overloaded with everything that's happening right now that her response is like so like stilted and emotionless. and it's just it's just like heartbreaking to see how bad she is right now
0: yeah interesting i like that interpretation of her absolutely as being like a desperate grabbing onto the life preserver right of of like oh a, a mission yes 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 thank you yeah. um life preserver i noticed that i'm really going for those swimming and drowning yeah water you're loving those there. water metaphors matt yeah yeah well it's not my fault <laughs> um yeah so um i just like in passing that uh um dot has been sitting in kenzie's arms during uh the big for cost situation i guess she
1: just decided they would be friends now (laughs) yeah And, and yes they are
0: yep um so they're outside victoria's looking at amy um very imposingly i saw moisture on her face that wasn't rain like the two and a half words she'd spoken it was almost enough to provoke me again i felt outrage seeing that i knew i wasn't being rational i knew i was in shock like with the Master Stranger Protocols, I had to recognize where I was and what I needed to do. Things divorced from instinct, biological impulses, and baser needs like fight or flight. Did you get your closure? Goddess asked. Amy turned her head to look at the woman, and I could see her eyes, bewildered, haunted, hurt. Oh,
1: sick burn, Goddess.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. So, yeah, it's that's all it is, right? right. It's, it's so shitty. Yeah.
1: It's it's I mean, it's like it, it's basically her saying, so this went the way you wanted it too huh? Uh-huh. It, it's wonderful. And and you have to you have to hope you have to hope in this moment that that maybe finally, at last, Amy gets it. Victoria has finally communicated the full extent of what Amy did to her Um in in the only way she knows how, which is just saying, look at this thing you turned me into. It is still with me. It is with me every day, it is with me every moment. It is here. It is still a part of me. We cannot. There is no resolution between the two of us because this thing is still here. And you hope, you hope that maybe, maybe Amy finally understands. And she leaves this interaction, this terrible, awful, bad interaction with with hopefully just a bit more understanding about why her sister can't forgive her right now. Yeah. But the question is, what will Amy's reaction be to this? Will it be good or will it be dangerous? And considering that Amy is like the mayor of bad decisionville, I'm going to say this isn't going to go well. I'm going to say that, that Amy's going to leave this reaction and, and go on her own little kind of spiral. And I don't know where that's going to end.
0: Yeah. I mean, if we're if we're making parallels to the interlude we just read where it's like it's like this this ever escalating volley of like, aha, I've I've scored my point right. with the other party. Yeah. And it's like, okay, then the other party goes off and does something horrible and unforgivable. Great. I think you're I right. Yeah. You you won. Sure won that yeah. one.
1: <laughs> Way to win.
0: Yeah. Because, like, yeah, it's it's very reminiscent of, of Byron's, like, ah, yes, this is the first victory I've scored against my brother. Yeah. It's like, yeah, v- I mean, Vicky got her victory here. She got her uh, she got her point across, which is what she's wanted to do. Yep. Good job, you know. I mean, on the one hand, you understand. On the other hand, it's like, yep, that now Amy's wandering off into the darkness. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's going
1: to go well. <laughs> I, I, <it's, clears throat> yeah, look, this is the world of parahumans. Things work out. They just oh. they just work out. It's mm. gonna be fine. We don't yeah. we don't have to worry about it. The next time we see Amy, she'll probably have like a steady nine to five. She'll be hitting the gym regularly. Like it's gonna mm-hmm. she's gonna be fine.
0: Yeah, she's gonna use this as an opportunity to work on herself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I like this little part where we we haven't really focused too much on Tristan. He's been there in the background, kind of brooding, angry. Staring at Victoria sometimes, creepily. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um. And then there's a point where he gives like seven times too many reasons to ask Natalie to go lock up the place.
1: (laughs) I don't want to have to go up the stairs with all my armor. Will you take care of this for me? Uh,
0: Yeah. When he really just like wants a moment with Victoria alone, and we're not really sure what's going on with him. Kind of. You have this suspicion, like he's gonna be like i I know that you're you're working against goddess i I was watching you conspire with Byron, something like that that was where my head was but instead it's I get it. Tristan spoke his voice wasn't his usual the sibling thing wrestling with with wrongs. I nodded, I could believe it. differences I was the wrongdoer he said the blood was on my hands, and then yeah, he surprises us, yeah, and he tells her that she needs to keep him in check. And yeah, he has been watching of course. Um, but he's actually down to keep following those master stranger protocols. So now they all get on Goddess's giant disc of destroyed parking (laughs) lot. Um, and they ride through the first of the prison portals and then approach the second and goddess wrecks shit and disarms the defenders and the team enters the prison world. Yeah. And goddess says we tear it all down before we leave.
1: Oh, boy. Here we go. It's, it's yep. battle time. Um, I, I think what what the book is doing here with Tristan is, is fantastic. Um, I think, like we talked about at the beginning of the chapter, we have been led to believe Tristan was going to behave a certain way. He was going to do a certain thing. And it was going to be ultimately destructive and bad. Um, the last we left him. In the interlude, this was heavily implied. The last we left him in the last chapter, this was heavily implied. If Byron was in control, he would have said exactly this, that, oh, no, Tristan's going to go off and do something terrible now. But then he subverts our expectation because, again, we see a side of Tristan that Byron does not see, a side of Tristan that um, maybe... Maybe the him him taking responsibility for the bad things that happen is is growth that Tristan has experienced since the Byron interlude. Or maybe it's just we're getting to see him from Victoria's perspective again and not and not through Byron's lens. Um, But but this is I think this has really has been set up to kind of shock us at the end. Um, We we were not primed for things to go this way. We were not primed for for to get a fuck. Yeah, Tristan moment here. And it is a beautiful fuck. Yeah, Tristan moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because there, there are all these moments of him again creepily staring at Victoria. You're just like, yeah. oh no, this isn't gonna, this is gonna be bad. Yeah, he's he's, you know, because we don't know what he did. <laughs> we still don't know what he actually did. Right. So that 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 leaves it leaves a big mystery that we fill in with whatever horrible thing we want to believe about him. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This this was awesome. This is really great, great conversation. There's
1: a, a long episode but it was a necessary length. Um, I hope. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't dislike Byron. I've, no, I mean, look, Matt and I have always been on opposite sides of Byron. And <laughs> of course, Byron was not like a Machiavellian evil guy who was like plotting while chewing on a Hershey bar. Um, he's just a, a, a messed up guy who's had to go through all kinds of shit. And just like everyone else in this story, his point of view, the perspective, which with he views his brother and the world, um, influences him in ways that lead him down bad roads, but that's everyone that's going through this shit. That's, that's that's everyone. And I think, I think one thing that I think the interlude does is, is paint both sides of that, that picture very brilliantly. I mean, obviously the textual one is Tristan is an asshole, but I think the subtextual one is Byron's not so great either. And if you haven't taken the time to reread the chapter, I really do encourage you to go through and reread it. Like Matt said, it is kind of an illuminating experience with when you are kind of taking it slower and not like ripping through the pages as fast as you can because it's so great. Um, Take your time with it. Pay attention to it. And I think you'll you'll see some of the stuff we talked about.
0: Yeah, you'll be able to see through our eyes. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I I, hope you like
1: Hawaiian pizza, because that's what I'm gonna be eating. <laughs> uh,
0: I, I mean, I, this is, I think, one of like the this is now at the top, the, near the top of my list of wild boat chapters f- for that exact reason that uh, yeah. the first, the first read through, the second read through were like completely different experiences in, in a way that that was like eye opening. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: I, I think I think the writing is is fantastic. I mean it's it's it really is next level. The the the, the game that you're having to do to, to keep to keep both make it clear that you're in Byron's perspective, but also leave the little clues that Byron's perspective might not be a clear one is, is tough to do. It's tough to balance. And I think it mm-hmm. hits it hits it hits it perfectly. It it really does. Mm-hmm. It it balances those two things and I I, I love how Wildbow balances Shitty situations and people making wrong decisions, but you always understand you always understand why they're making the wrong decision. It's like you can be disappointed in their decision that they make, but you're like, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And, and and constructing those situations is not easy. It's it's not an easy thing to do. And I we keep getting them and I keep being stunned by them.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I love this story. Yeah, I do, too. <laughs> Um, Let's wrap this thing up. We've been going on forever. Let's do it. Discussion question. Um, Do you want to spearhead this one?
1: Yeah. So this question was actually um, suggested by uh, a listener. I think his name is Wildbo. Um, Mm -hmm. Basically, this sprung from discussions over this chapter that I think we kind of tried to skirt around in our talking. But there was a lot of discussions around this chapter of who won who was more wrong? Was it Byron or was it Tristan? Who's the worse one? Who's the wronger one? And um, I, I think the question here we want to ask is, why do we as readers, and I'm putting myself in this too, I, I want you guys to, to just sit back and think, why do we as readers feel the need to kind of gamify um, our reading experiences? Does it matter from the perspective of a reader enjoying a story who is the wrong one or who is the wronger one does that matter and if it does matter why why do you think it does and if it doesn't why why do you think we tend to to fall into these things i have some ideas on my own but i want to hear what you guys think
0: yeah yeah i might also add like sh- should it matter yeah, or something like yeah. that but yeah we'll uh, we'll we'll formalize the question on the reddit post as usual yeah um, yeah, I also have my own ideas, but this is one of those ones where I'm like, eh, well, I'm, I'm, you guys always are, are able to think of angles that I never would have thought of. So I look forward to that. Yeah. So that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You
1: can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scott eighty five and matts is at byron was wronger
0: <laughs> chocolate <laughs> um if you're not already subscribed to we've got Ward we strongly rec- recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play and pretty much anywhere else in the world. You can listen to podcasts
1: and you can find all the other podcasts we do over at doofmedia.com. This week on our other shows, Vow to View hits uh, this Thursday and talks about some of our favorite TV shows we watched in college. And then on the Doofcast, we're continuing our exploration of the Wachowskis. Wachowskis why do I always change it every time anyway we're talking about the matrix reloaded it's a really great conversation we've already recorded it Matt and I really dove into that movie and why we think it as 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 many problems as it does that comes out on Friday it's going to be great go listen to it
0: yeah that's right and if you like any of our shows and you want to support us consider donating to our patreon account patreon.com slash doof you can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art and yearly costume contests, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. Special thanks to new Bidoof's Michael and Seergraug at the $5 level.
1: Yeah, Seergraug updated to $5, so thanks, buddy.
0: Yeah, we appreciate that. It's, uh,
1: and thanks everyone for your continued support. It means the world.
0: It's, it definitely does. And as always, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well because this is his goddamn amazing story. And <laughs>
1: we're just talking we're just, about it.
0: We're just talking about it and enjoying the hell out yeah. of it.
1: And if you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead call your brother on the phone. Tell them how you feel and just talk, just communicate, just, you know, open those lines of dialogue. They're really important. Or you can head on over to Apple podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. We have no new reviews to read this week, but Matt, we hit a milestone. We broke a hundred ratings and reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts, which is pretty great. That's a lot. That's yeah. like, they say that the amount of people that, take the time to review you is a very low percentage of your total overall downloads so to get up to 100 means we're doing something right so thanks guys yeah. for taking the time we really appreciate that it really did i yeah, mean that, it, like it seriously helps us like when if someone hears about this podcast and looks it up and sees 100 reviews and a five-star rating then they're like oh shit maybe i'll actually yeah. listen to this so it really that, really does help
0: that's kind of amazing actually yeah. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much, every single one of you, 100 and, and more. Yeah. Um, all right, that's it for this week. Reminder that there's no episode next week, but we'll be back here on October 3rd to presumably finish Arc Nine Gleaming. Yeah. We'll see. Wachowski. wasowski
1: <laughs> where's bowski that's the guy from aliens right
0: yeah it is <laughs> i always thought I always thought he was saying where's bowski now, where did bowski go <laughs> yeah,
1: but no, on the Be- thing it's it's weird because
0: he's yelling for the guy yeah. where's where's bowski